Hello and welcome back to Box to Box. Jeff Hauser and I, your host, Alex Perry, are finally back after a long summer of us graduating college and trying to put together our lives. But in the time that we've been gone, uh, a lot has happened on the pitch. A lot has happened off the pitch. And Jeff and I, we're here to break it all down and to discuss what it could mean ahead of this European football season. So, Jeff, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Honestly, feeling pretty excited. Let's, uh, let's get straight to it. Let's talk about the most exciting action to happen on a pitch this summer. Yeah, the I mean, Gold Cup. Obviously, Italy winning the Euros. Um, no, it's it's the Gold Cup, and I won't hear otherwise. It's the biggest competition this summer, and USA's C team because your your Pulisic's, your McKinney's, your Adams, your Reynas, they're all back with their preseason, uh, with their European clubs. So who showed up? Guys like Matt Turner, guys like Matthew Hoppy, Daryl DK. Yeah. Yeah, Paul yeah. Ariola, Kellen Acosta, players, the, the players who showed up for Italy in the Euros: Lorenzo Insigne, Locatelli, Verratti, Chiesa. Okay, I mean, come on. I, we obviously know that the Euros are by far a bigger tournament. Um, and look, I mean, I, I think both Italy and the United States like have good reason to feel optimistic about what lies ahead. I mean, like you mentioned, like the United States were missing, you know, several key players, the players that we think are going to be leading this team going forward. Well, they weren't in the squad. United still won the, uh, the United States still won the gold cup. Um, and uh, I mean, the- get used to saying United won. Cause you're going to hear that a lot this year, uh, uh, but yeah. I mean, it might've been a Freudian yeah. slip, but I mean, the important thing is that even with that C team beating Mexico in a final is a big deal. Doing it twice in one summer is an even bigger deal because don't forget about the nation's league. Uh, that happened at the start of the summer when guys like Pulisic, McKinney, and Adams were in the squad. They beat a full-strength Mexico. They've done it twice now, and it has very little to do with the actual soccer, the, the Gold Cup. What it has a lot to do with is that 117th-minute winner against Mexico in a cup final, the, the picture of them lifting the trophy, the Sports Center highlight moment to get all of the American soccer fans who don't really care about American soccer when it's not the World Cup season to get them reinvested in this team because you've lost a lot of faith when you miss a World Cup like we did in Russia. And it's a big deal to get them, to get the, the people who don't care seeing those highlights on SportsCenter, to get them casually invested in this young, special U.S. team actually winning and actually earning that trust back. It, I like, I joke, but the, the trophies are both a joke. What matters is building that trust back with the fan base. I think that's probably the biggest victory for, for United States soccer is what you just mentioned. And, you know, even if, look, I don't think we're expecting the United States to win the World Cup next year, but if they can put together a good run, right, especially with the players they have, I think that will only take this sort of interest in the United States among our population even further. Um, and, you know, like, like you said, the competitions aren't, you know, the most prestigious competitions, uh, the Gold Cup and Nations League. But what matters most is obviously getting getting that attention on, on the United States national team. I mean, we saw, I'm just going back to the World Cup in 2014 when the United States, you know, they, they beat Ghana, were seconds away from beating Portugal, uh, and then took it to extra time against Belgium. And the, the level of appreciation and attention given to them was, was huge. And, and it, I think you really saw, I almost think that was like a turning point for, for U.S. soccer. That was when you really saw so much more interest in this team because people actually believed in them. They believed that they can make a good run. And I think that would be the case here, especially when you have more players like Christian Pulisic, 
Weston McKenney playing for some of Europe's top clubs? Yeah, it's uh, like I'm seriously, I, I might be getting a little out of hand, but I'm seriously seeing the like the the floor of this team is a real like if you accidentally get a France, like you finish second in your group and you get a France or a Germany in the round of 16 and you get knocked out then, that's probably the floor of this team. The ceiling is a semifinal where you go through teams like Colombia or kind of that tier, the way England got to their semifinal through like, you know, the Russias, the Colombias, the like the kind of second tier, the teams that you don't expect to like don't expect to beat, but you don't expect to like handle you either. Like there's a chance they get a draw that they could be anywhere from around a 16 to a semifinal team in Qatar exactly. in 18 I mean, a months. Lot of it, a lot of it will come down to the draw, what group they're in, where they finish in the group and then who they're seated against. Because look, obviously we can't, you know, the world cup is still a year away, over a year away. Um, so there's still a lot of time. Nothing can happen. We don't know who's going to be fit and who isn't. Um, but again, you know, it, it is very possible that they get a kind draw. They get a kind draw on the group stage, um, and then they get and there's, there's a, to the semifinal, the quarterfinal. It can happen. Yeah, there's a there's a limit to that. I mean, I don't expect them to be able to win a semifinal game just because when you get to that tier, it's very hard to dodge a Belgium, a France, a Brazil, a Spain, a Germany, and England and Italy. Some of those real. Uh, don't worry, I was gonna get to you. Yeah, I I was wondering where, uh, when when you were gonna mention Italy. But I mean, a, a big but... a big summer for teams that missed uh, Russia 2018. Italy also doing well. And I, I guess teams with disappointments in Russia too, because the Argentina squad, Messi finally gets uh, a trophy on an international stage. Look at where these teams were in 2018. And, Argentina uh, was getting yeah. the snot beaten yeah. out of them in the round of 16 against France. And I mean, granted France, the eventual winners, but like it didn't look close. And then to go on and, you know, they had a couple of heartbreaks against Chile in recent past in Copa America finals. But yeah, I, I really do think that this is kind of a side note that, you know, the U S need to just throw as much money. The Federation needs to throw as much money and like set up certain TV rights. However, they need to USA and Mexico need to be permanent fixtures in the Copa America for the progression of both of those national teams. Yeah, I mean, that that's an interesting one. I, I think, look, if the United States and Mexico were in the Copa America, that's huge, right? Because you basically have, you basically, it's like, no one really cares about the Gold Cup, but like, if, if you think that the United States is going to get attention playing against teams like Costa Rica and Honduras, that attention among the local population, among the- Is know, way bigger if they get Brazil, Argentina, or even the second tier. Uruguay, exactly. Even the second tier, even the Uruguays, the Colombias, the Perus, exactly. like- that, and and I think you know that a that a third place finish at a Copa America is not unheard of. No, that would be that would be and tremendous. and Mexico I think would love to play in a competition that isn't on the the you know garbage pitches of Curacao or Trinidad or Honduras or wherever because oh man I forgot how gross World Cup qualifying is Remember in, in Concacaf. It's a different sport. It's the, a different sport. The, the pitch that we played on at um, against Trinidad and Tobago in 2017, all we had to do was not lose. I mean, that pitch was was a joke. It, That's obviously why the United States didn't make the World Cup. I mean, there's no other it's, reason. That is, it's not, but reason. I like yeah, Polisic has done it. Polisic has done it, but guys like McKinney and Adams haven't really had that experience where you have to. And we are no longer on BU's network, so I can say it. Shit, how's your way to a CONCACAF? qualifying game against your Hondurases, against your Jamaicas, where the pitch is garbage and the fans are up all night outside your hotel, banging drums and playing bells and okay. keeping you up. You, you know it's what? 
it's a level of chaos that I don't think a lot of our superstars or budding superstars are going to be used to. As good as it may seem on the surface that Juventus finished fourth, that means Weston McKinney will be getting another year of Champions League football, and that Chelsea won the Champions League and qualified. You, you almost wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm joking when I say this, but like, it's too bad they're not playing in the Europa League because those, that, that's like the type of, <laughs> that is your like vintage Europa League environment that they're yeah. just out on. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. And and I think some of that some of that adversity will be helpful. I mean, uh, unfortunately, the, like the other two that I think of, I'm pretty sure Reyna and Adams are also going to be on Champions League pitches, at yeah, least at the start. Uh, yeah, we don't know. U.S. soccer that are best players are playing in the Champions League. I mean, yeah, it's a it's it's a bad thing. We'd rather have them in the Europa Leagues. Uh, but I, I mean, know. you know, we'd really rather have them, Jeff, the Conference League. Yeah, oh, uh, I don't know. That means they'd have to go play for Spurs, and I'm just I can't support that. Yeah, that's true. That that be I mean, we don't we don't like to abuse our own players. All right, so um, we kind of covered most of the international on the pitch competitions this summer. The two that we haven't yet, the Olympics, Brazil taking home gold. Uh, but the big star of the Olympics was Pedri for Spain, and he he was offered 14 days of vacation. He has declined them. He's going straight back into camp, and uh, and honestly. The guy showed out at the Olympics. He was the work ethic of the kid as well, man. He he was a fantastic player, and he doesn't want the break. He said, "I'm I'm you know the club didn't want me to go to the Olympics, but I you know I had such a passion to play for my country, and now I'm ready to get back and grind." Club didn't want to happen that did this summer, Uh, but we'll get to that later. We we, that uh, that's a good transition uh, to to what's going on in the transfer news. But I will I will shout out uh, Christine Sinclair and the Canadian national team and their goalkeeper whose name is not coming to me at the moment who saved, I think three penalties in that shootout with Sweden or it's something ridiculous. It was one of the most unbelievable penalty. Like it made Jordan Pickford look lame. <laughs> I didn't know Jordan uh, could save penalties. Uh, it makes, it makes England's Jordan Pickford look bad. Year final, did he? He, he did listen. It could have been worse. I mean, Italy, he did. He did. He did. He did an okay job against Italy. He saved Jorginho's penalty, which is yeah, it did. It, he could have been way worse. I mean, yeah. he's already he's already back to his Everton form. Uh, they had a little preseason match against United, and he went back to just yeah, being no, absolutely that was, terrible. That was a big oof there. Love um, that, but win for United. But yeah, pick for the side. I mean, the Canadians. I mean, congratulations to them. Their first uh, international trophy or their first international gold or, or, you know, world cup champions or whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it's a big deal for, for that nation uh, to get behind their women's team, especially as Sinclair and some of their old guard are retiring. They have some talented new players coming through that that's going to be exciting. And the, uh, the bigger story is really that uh, whether we like to admit it or not, the world has caught up to this U S women's national team. And it, yeah, and it's, it's a little bit, uh, there's just something missing. They didn't have a rhythm. They didn't have a tempo. It's, it's, you kind of have to bring this roster to the Olympics. You have to bring Rapino and Morgan and Lloyd because of what they've, they've earned the right to go there and get third place. And you, there's a lack of a drive. There's a lack of young kids who need to prove it in that team. Cause you need that mix. You need those fiery, passionate youngsters who haven't won a world cup yet, who, who are still fighting every day in practice. I like my feeling says that that team just was out of rhythm, was a little complacent and, and that's what cost them. But the, you know, the back-to-back world cup victories means that they're allowed to kind of run out their time. And the, the other thing is that I think most of them would have retired from international soccer if this was men's 
and they would have gone out World Cup champions and said, I'm done playing for the US national team and I'm going to ride home, you know, on my huge boatloads of money from my club career. And these women don't have that. So they, they need the Olympics to keep their platform to kind of to help continue to make themselves more sponsorship money as they as they age and age out of playing soccer. Right. And, and I think, look, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that like I'm an expert on women's soccer, but you make a good point that the rest of the world is kind of catching up to them. I mean, if you compare that to the United States national team and it looks like, sorry, the men's team, and it looks like the men's team is catching up to, I mean, the powerhouses of the world as well. I mean, they're not, there's obviously still some distance, but we're, for the first time in a while, we're seeing uh, a United States men's national team, you know, the first 11, where you can have five or six players playing for clubs like Barcelona and Juventus and Chelsea. Uh, yeah, it's... Dortmund. So it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, and and I will say one more thing about the this current crop of women, as well as all the way back to the 99ers. Women's soccer is where it is today because of these last few generations of U.S. women. And the fact that everyone else is catching up to them is a result of the the amount of popularity they have given the the sport as a whole. I mean, no one no one really cared about women's soccer a decade ago, but between Japan's uh, like you know post tsunami 2011 World Cup win and then the back-to-back wins for this U.S. national team, the the kind of platform that that the Rapinos and the Lloyds and the and the Alex Morgans, the Tobin Heaths of the world have, uh, it's they've done a whole lot to to elevate the game and it shouldn't be looked at as a bad thing that the world's catching up. It should be looked at as a positive for their legacy that they brought the world up with them. But let's uh, let's well, let's transition. Oh one, yeah, one, go one for last it. Last thing, also shout out to the women. Another shout out to the women's national team because they have done an excellent job in making conservatives like Ben Shapiro and Trump flip their shit. So another, nothing, nothing makes me them. nothing makes me happier than a self-proclaimed American patriot rooting against Team USA in the Olympics because they're expressing because literally they're just you know protesting. Yeah, but and these are the same guys. These are the exact same guys who would love the Yankees with a role to Chapman. But where they draw the line is, you know, rooting for Team USA. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, nothing spells. It's, a, it's like, a joke. It, yeah. It's an absolute joke. And, and it, it makes me so happy that, that they're all worked up about it because it's and just. Also, like, they're, they're like writing on the fact that, like, the United States, the women's national team didn't have a good Olympics, completely overlooking, like, the fact that they're the most successful team in women's soccer. But they've won the last two World Cups. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's yeah. get to the to the transfer news about like Ben Shapiro and Donald Trump because we don't want to do that to you. No, um, no. Let's let's get, to- let's get right to the spicy stuff. Um, medical happening today in Italy. Lukaku to, to Chelsea. I mean, uh, all it cost was uh, was giving up on him as a youngster and letting him kill it at Everton, and then letting him go out and kind of be a little bit mediocre in a, in a down slump at United and then kill it at one season. Yeah. United, they finished above Chelsea. They did. And, and I mean, that was a United team that was dysfunctional as a whole. He ended up playing, he was our best right winger as a striker. It was a problem. I mean, he, he went to Italy. He kind of worked on some things, became a, a much more lethal goal scorer uh, for at the highest level. And then I still have questions. I still do have questions as he returns to Chelsea, about what that first touch is like and how it'll play in the Prem. Because as successful as he was in Italy, I do have questions about coming back to a side like that Chelsea side. If it's going, like, I'm not saying he won't be successful. I'm saying he won't be as successful as his last season at Inter. I, I disagree because I think 
the standard of defending in Syria is still much higher than than that in, in the Premier League. And I think if he can score the amount of goals that he did and be as lethal as he was in Syria, um, that that's huge. He can obviously handle the physicality of the Premier League. I mean, look at him. The the only thing is though that obviously you know when he was with Inter, when he was at Inter, he was playing alongside Latoura Martinez. So even if you know the oh yeah, he's he's gonna be playing alongside some scrubs at Chelsea. Exactly. I mean exactly. <laughs> In other words, like the defense is gonna focus. He's not gonna be like the focal point for for like you know opposition defenses because then they also have to worry about Latoura uh, Martinez. They can't you know so they're not giving Lukaku as much attention. Yeah, as opposed to Chelsea, no where really be fearing Timo Werner after the season he just. No, had. you're right. You're right. You know, Werner and Havertz and and Pulisic, these guys are all terrible. Um, not terrible, but they're not on. They're not. Zayek is is garbage. They're they're all they're all terrible. Zayek I mean, they... is not on. Zayek is not on. Is not on. It's not the caliber of player that Martinez is. Look, Werner. I I don't think there's room for for Lukaku and Werner in the squad. I mean, I, I would be shocked if Thomas Tuchel like finds a way to line them both up. Um, I, I expect it actually to be be some sort of a, like a 3-5-2 with some sort, like with a pairing that could be Werner and, and Lukaku, that could be, uh, you know, with Pulisic or Havertz or Zayek or even um, Mason Mount at the 10 spot. Like I could see them rotating that and leaving. worked so well for them last season. It, it did, but, but when you add Lukaku, it changes things because you're one of the things you are going to give up as, as strong and as fast as he is, He's not very kind of agile and quick, and I don't expect him to to I don't expect him to play as fluidly. I expect him to stay kind of in the center, whereas previously it was a very fluid front three for Chelsea. It's gonna be Lukaku up top and two more kind of dedicated wingers around. Yeah, I think him. It's, it's gonna be a bit more like fixed almost. Yeah. And but, and if that if it works, it it works. But if it does and and if it actually if it works, I expect it to be more Zayek and Polisic than Havertz and Werner, where it actually works. Because when you're playing fixed like that, you kind of need those guys. Um, Havertz and, and Werner definitely both succeed more in a fluid system where they can make those, they can kind of work left to right or right to left, cut inside, make those darting runs, uh, get in behind. They're both guys that find space very well, whereas, whereas Zayek and, and Polisic are more taking on a guy on the flank, whipping a ball in. Uh, that kind of style that's going to work better with Lukaku being stagnant in the middle. What, what, what I could see, like how how I could see Chelsea lining up, and I think this would be dangerous. Like you said, a three-five-two, but more a uh, a three-two-three-two, right? And you have Jorginho um, and Conte at, at the two at at CDM ahead of them, Mason Mount on one wing, Pulisic on the other wing, Ziyech, Lukaku up top alongside Werner or alongside Havertz. Do you like, do you that, think that, that is frightening? That that's fr- that is that's frightening. frightening going forward, but you have to remember that that coming coming back, it's it's Ziyech and Pulisic defending your wings, that's and true. that's yeah. Yeah. like it, I could see that in this. I could see that being something they pivot to in in the second half. Uh, you know, the 60, 70th minute when they're when they're either chasing a game or when they're you know they haven't been able to find a breakthrough against some of the lower side teams. I think that'll be effective for breaking down teams, but the alternative I, I, is though that you that you just drop Ziyech and you put Reese James in, so at least you have one like somewhat defensive-minded. Yeah, and and to that point, uh, it may have been just to try and get him minutes and get him match fitness. But Pulisic was playing as a wing back for forty-five minutes in a Chelsea preseason game, and so that like that is something to know. It might have just been to get him time out on the pitch more than anything, because uh, the preseason's a joke, but. Uh, I mean, the other the other huge transfers of the summer, uh, Grealish is is obviously the biggest one. Um, 
where do you think he fits? Because I could see a couple of things happening. I could either see it like I don't see a world where it doesn't work. But do you see him more on the left wing or do you see him working into that midfield that's so creative? Uh, like I, I see him working um, more either on the left or the right. I mean, taking I, I think he's really going to take up a player like Mares or Bernardo Silva's spot. Um, those are two players who look like they're probably out the door. I mean, City have been open, reportedly open to offering them to Tottenham in an attempt to get Kane to come the other way. But that's a whole other story. But the point is, I think those two players are out of favor, and that that's where that's where Grealish uh, slots in for me. I mean, there's been a yeah, lot I of I mean, his his best position is is definitely either on that left wing or on the left side of that midfield, and and you could you could see how lethal that would be with him and then Gabriel Jesus and Sterling up top. And then Gondwan and and uh, De Bruyne and and Fernandinho in there at the midfield. That's that's filthy. That's absolutely it's filthy. filthy. It's filthy. Not convinced about Gabriel Jesus up top. Not convinced that he. That Who's the solution then? Ready. Who's the solution then? Solution is Harry Kane. That's no, solution. it's not. No, that's yeah, that's a joke. Well, so it's solution have, is not Harry Kane. Gabriel Jesus and Harry Kane, obviously not. They no, need, no, need but proper center forward, Jeff. Yeah, but I don't expect it to be Harry Kane for a couple of reasons. One of which is that when's the last time you've had just that it's stereotypical big beefy, you know, 30 goal a season number nine? Like it wasn't Aguero's style either. I'm not sure Harry Kane stylistically fits beautifully with City, but I, I mean, uh, you know who I'd rather have than you know who I'd rather have than Harry Kane? Who? Uh some free agent who just left Barca. It's, it's, it's some mediocre player, Lionel. Um Ah, oh, I forget his last uh, name. Yeah. Mis- that, Misai? That, 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 yeah, I don't know why that, they're having like a press conference. I mean, like, they've been big I've never heard of the guy. No, uh, no, this, you know, uh, but, he, he's... Now, look, he's uh, honestly, I think... I think it's he's, more or less confirmed that he's on his way to PSG now. Uh, it, it it very well could be, and I could see... If he's on his way to PSG, I think that it becomes a, a two-man race uh, between City and, and Real Madrid to get uh, a young French star. Who I think would actually beautifully City spot. And Ram- uh, you got the wrong Premier League team, son. I think. Of no, no, United's not in it as much as you want to believe. Yeah, no, uh, um, United's not in it. And and I, this I summer, Bur- I, was th- I was thinking Burnley. Uh, no, this I, summer, you know, Liverpool, you know, Liverpool's not in it this summer because we haven't seen Sane out the door and we haven't seen Firmino out the door. Yeah, I mean, and Sané one has, of the two would Sané have hasn't left Liverpool because he never played for them. So, uh, Mane, I'm sorry, yeah, um, but. Um, it, it, you would expect Mane or Firmino to be out the um, door. Um, yeah, I was definitely surprised about how quiet Liverpool have been in this transfer window. There have and been I some think... very quiet teams. There have been a lot of teams kind of sitting pat. Well, um, Chelsea, been, Chelsea were very quiet for a while before. And, and even out of nowhere, they signed Lukaku. Out of nowhere, they signed Lukaku. But like, even that is just like, like it's one move. You, you, I mean, you could argue that that's what completes the team, and that's what turns them from you. Four you could, but this team won could. the Champions League. I mean, they're not they're not a joke. Yeah, I mean, they finished fourth, but they had a, a shit. Uh, they they squeaked the into fourth. Right, right, right. But if you look at just the second half of the season, right? If you if they were as good in the first half, and let's just say two goals there the whole season, let's just assume for the sake of the argument. That you know, roughly what we saw from Chelsea in last season, the second half is what we will see from them this entire season. Plus, they have Lukaku, so I think that's that's why. Let's let's see if it works with Lukaku. First of all, not going to get a preseason with them, uh, as evident. He's going to be unavailable for their first week fixture. He's probably 
Uh, I mean, we've seen it happen before. These guys that come in late, it doesn't click for the first six, seven weeks. Because it, it, it does matter that you have time on the pitch working with these guys. That, that, that is important. Um, I think the long one will be huge. But let's get And to- let's talk about another team who, who maybe added the one or two pieces they need to seriously put up a title challenge. Um, Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane, welcome to Manchester United. Yeah, welcome to... Is this- because uh, I, I have to ask you genuinely, because I have I have rose colored glasses. I not rose colored glasses. I have rose colored everything on right now. Uh, genuinely, is this not the the two biggest holes in United's team right now? Was it not the second center back spot and finally solving the right wing problem? No, it was not. They, those were not the two biggest holes. I think they United have more than enough of talent uh, talent going up top. I think the the biggest. Hole the, okay, then you yeah. haven't watched the United game in the, the past in the past not seven years. Title. You like, haven't watched Brandon the United McTominay. game in the past you're seven not, years. Fred and McTominay, you're not winning a Premier League title. Okay, so with so Rashford let's and Greenwood potentially. If you have let's let's team, pause. Let's play. pause for a second. Let's pause for a second. You haven't watched United for the last decade if you don't think right wing has been a hole for us. For the last decade. It's been a hole, but I think United have coped in a way that they haven't necessarily. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing is you don't have to cope. Now it's not just Bruno who has to, to create cope, for this what's team. Been a big, what's been an even bigger hole is their midfield. You're right. Their, their midfield is so terrible that yeah, uh, it's Liverpool... So terrible, st- it's so terrible that, that, that Liverpool's so starting terrible. midfield... Um, uh, man, Pogba. who's that? No, 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 who's that? Who's that? Uh, incredible Liverpool center defensive midfielder, the the one who's really talented, who holds the, the team Fabinho? together. Oh, Fabinho. and right, was he starting for Brazil? Okay, that's all. Okay. Was Fred starting for Brazil uh, yeah. in his spot? In his spot? Uh, we're gonna go in his spot. No manager decides better to decide who's that. What the fuck has Fred won his entire fucking career? Nothing. He hasn't won shit. Okay. Um. Ah, so okay, so that's that's a that's a brilliant argument. I I love yeah, it. That's it is a that... brilliant argument. Fabinho is twice the player Fred is. I'm sorry, I don't care what the Brazil manager thinks. And by the way, by the way, I mentioned that Fred hasn't won anything. He had a chance to win the Copa America, and you know maybe if Fabinho had started, maybe if Firmino had started. Okay, okay. If you, you know, watch the if you watch the Copa America final and you thought that Fred was the did, problem with that team, watch it. Did you think that Fred was the problem with that team? Be honest. Did you think that no, Fred think was the problem, was the problem with that team? But I think okay, okay. I'm. Um, my point is. My point is that Fred, Fred is very much good enough to be a, a Premier League winning starting center midfielder. I don't. Believe it, no. What if I, I suggest that? Watching him play for the last couple of years. Watching him. Watching him thrive in the Copa America, and it's not just the last game against Argentina. They were in the final in large part to the the play that Fred had given them in the midfield. How many times he, has Fred, how many times has Fred made it like to the quarterfinals of the Champions League? Really? So, so you know that's a that's a team sport. Uh, I mean, okay, I mean, what has not been a part of winning? How many times has Steven Gerrard won won his domestic league? You know this argument's bad. You know this. You know this argument is bad. All right. You know this argument is bad. Otherwise, Steven Gerrard is a worse midfielder than insert United player for the last 25 years. Okay, then I guess Divock Origi is a better player than Marcus Rashford. Uh, so, so you're admitting that it's a terrible argument. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, it's not the best argument, but I just... It's not, it's not, it's not even close. I, I think that... I'm sorry, they just do. And by the way, it's not just CDM. Pogba has not been spectacular for United. He just hasn't. He's had his moments... 
But he doesn't not, have to be. Not the player he is on France. He's not the player he was in Juventus. Okay. He doesn't have to. Uh, and and the don't want to talk about way, the rose colored glasses. Uh, he was not always perfect at Juve either. I think he was a better he was a better player at Juve than he was at United. There, there are things he's done at United that he never did at Juve. There, there, his, his single most dominant performances have come either in one-month spurts with France or in a handful of games where he decides to go 100% with United. My point is, you add Bruno, you add Sancho, and you add, I, I mean, you added Bruno a couple of years ago. You add Sancho now as a second option. Between Bruno, Sancho, Pogba, uh, I mean... And then you have guys like Rashford, Greenwood, and Cavani ready to convert. That's a team that will be able to score enough goals to win the league. We'll we'll get to your league predictions later. Oh, and don't forget about the best left back in the world. Ah, Okay, all right. Uh, Not sure about that one. I don't think he's the best left Uh, back. So you watch the Euros, right? Yeah, I think Ben Chilwell would have done better. (laughs) I do. I, I, I genuinely do. Um, and if, if you think Luke Shaw is better than like you know Alfonso Davies, you know, good for you. But I don't, I don't. Believe oh so. man! Um, I mean, the, the disrespect to Sharberto Carlos is is ridiculous, and I will not hear it on this podcast. So uh, let's um let's move. Let's let's, let's, let's transfers outside the Premier League. Would you want to? Yeah. Do uh, PSG there... has been has been rather busy. Hakimi for fifty four million pounds. Donnarumma on a free. And Wijnaldum on a free. Ramos on a free, free, possibly Messi on a free. I mean, every other club in Europe must be, like, scratching their heads as to how the fuck they let one team... No, do you want to know what every club will be scratching their heads about? For world-class players for, like, nothing. People will be scratching their head about how PSG still makes a quarterfinal exit in the Champions League. That's a bold take. I don't think it's happening. I think without Messi, without Messi, I think that they are. I I still think that they are probably quarterfinalist exits. I even without Messi, dude. Donnarumma and I mean, it's not. It's not a serious. It's not upgrade. like it's a huge it's upgrade. Not a serious upgrade, but Sergio Ramos at the back, I think, is huge. I think Vinaldo. I I think Sergio Ramos is is running out of those legs. He's you know, it's not like they they got Varane, who's twenty eight. Sergio Ramos is up there in his thirties. Right, but if you look at Madrid's record with and without him in the side over the past season, it's that's Madrid's record, and some of his leadership will transfer. Huge, he's still making a massive difference for you know he can still make a massive difference for his side. And if they get messy, I'm sorry, if they get messy, and it's looking likely, but it hasn't been confirmed. I think um, if they get messy, but Kylian Mbappe leaves, but but do you still leave? Okay, but you wait in the window for that to happen. I could see any- if they add, if they add Messi, I, I I genuinely put it at better than 50-50 that Mbappe leaves. No, if they no. add Messi, uh, but, but a transfer like that is like a saga that's going to drag on all summer. And if they're, having, I think it I think it could get done quickly to come, agree- to come up with an agreement between you know PSG and wherever he would go. I think that I think that some of those agreements are already being negotiated in case the Messi signing gets happened, and we just haven't heard about it. For example, how much did you hear about Lukaku to Chelsea before it happened? Grealish and City, you heard about for like yeah, a okay, week. It was there was there was rumors, but you you heard you Inter heard about Milan, it. Yeah, but Inter Milan were also in a very difficult finance financial situation. They had to let one of their players go, so I don't think it was as much. I, I don't think it was as tricky. Um, you know, getting Lukaku. Inter were looking to sell players. PSG aren't looking to sell Mbappe. They're looking to nail him down for another few years, right? Yeah, but, but, I but think that. Not to mention, he leaves. He can leave for free next summer. So that's why I think it gets done. If they add Messi, that's why I think it gets done. Is because he can leave for free next summer. I don't think they're. 
I think that they're going to have to be honest with themselves about the fact that they won't be able to secure him by January, yeah, and he'll be able to sign a pre-contract. But you could also say that if PSG get Messi, Mbappe is therefore so much more inclined to stay. PSG why? Why? Also, why? Why? Does Does them getting Messi change? They're easily Champions League favorites. Why would does them getting Messi change the quality of their domestic league? I'm sorry. Does PSG getting Messi improve the quality of their domestic league? No, but he said. But then, Mbappe, then it doesn't matter. Uh, but okay, but Mbappe, I think Mbappe would take his chances on winning the Champions League with a lineup like PSG's. I think he can suck up one or two more years of you know league on football if that's the case. And by, and by the way, PSG didn't even win league on last year. Um, I know I, I, that doesn't mean it's not a joke of a league. That's just embarrassing for them. Uh, yeah, I mean. It is, it is, but I still, I, I think a deal like Mbappe, it's it just, it's just too big to happen within what the transfer window closes in twenty days. All right, all right, Mister Delusional, I think we can still get him at Liverpool next just, summer. I was joking. We're obviously not getting Mbappe, um, at least not this year. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, all right. Uh, we we have to move on because yeah. we have to move on. Uh, Barca have made a few uh, a few moves. I mean, the the big ones, guys like Memphis to buy in. Uh, guys like Griezmann not out, despite them trying their very best to move him back to Atleti. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Messi will be gone. Uh, Aguero has arrived and is now, uh, he arrived at the start of the window. Since then, they have been unable to bring Messi back. And Aguero is now want, wanting out. He, that's it. Oh, he said, I want to. He's actually out for 10 weeks. Um, he Did he get injured? Three. Yeah, very recently. I well, mean, whichever special. new team, whichever new team signs him, man. whichever new team signs him doesn't get him for 10 weeks then because he is, uh, I, I think he showed up to want to play with Messi. Messi. I don't even know. I don't actually, I don't even know if he's officially registered to play in La Liga yet. I don't even know if Memphis Depay is registered to play in La Liga yet. And um, that has to do with some of the logistics behind the scenes. And I think that that changes once the, like now that the Messi news is official and they're not trying to get him, they right. can put some of these contracts officially on the books. But the fact that it's even taken this long is like, it just shows you how poorly they're run as a club. I mean, you, like, honestly, like you would think that like the Trump administration is running this club. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, let's get to a couple other uh, kind of not domestic transfers that were a big deal. Uh, Danielle Malin uh, from PSV Eindhoven has been tagged as the Jaden Sancho replacement at Dortmund. And if you know anything about Dortmund, you know that, Whoever comes in to replace the the young superstar is probably going to be another young superstar. Probably going to be the next, right? Superstar. What? I mean, I mean, Dembele out, Sancho in. Uh, I mean, Holland showing up like they knows how to produce these young talents. Dorman knows how to produce these young talents. I mean, Milan, twenty two years of age, uh, in thirty two uh, Eurovisa games, he scored nineteen goals and has a further eight assists. And even last season, uh, or rather two seasons ago. 14 games, 11 goals, two assists. And then in his first season, he was like 20, 10 goals and four assists in 31 games. Um, very good move for Dortmund for just 27 million. I mean, it's, you, you can see uh, you can see the potential for him to, for. While it is just 27 million. In, while it is just 27 million. I mean, we have to recognize that it's also 27 million. Like that's not a small amount. They, they, not it's not like they went and signed a kid for. On, they can move him on for a lot more, you know, give, yeah, give but, like two or three years, four years. It's, four years, honestly. it's not years. a, I, I expect to make a profit, but my point is more that it's not like they signed a Jaden Sancho replacement for 5 million and that they like one of the kids they have currently. It's that they truly believe this guy will be a starter for them. 
like that. That's enough money that he's going to get a chance to prove it yeah. in the starting 11 is, is my point. Uh, Tamori from Chelsea to Milan for, for 26 million is a solid window as well. I I, Milan have had a very solid window, just some smaller moves, but really kind of locking things up. And I think seriously ready to get after that top four this year. Oh, well, not only, I mean, they got top four. I think they're, they're looking to get after that title. I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're getting after that title, but like, I, I think this is another year where they have to prove it and stay in the top four. I don't think that it's uh, an assumption that they finish top four this year. I, I think it's almost an assumption by default because who in Italy is going to win the title? I mean, look at Inter, who just who basically, you know, are sold to coffee. Juve is still my default answer until such time as uh, they don't win it for two years in a row. Juve finished, they barely squeaked out a fourth place spot. And the only reason they even got fourth was because Napoli blew it on the final day. They couldn't win at home to like Chievo or some mid-table Italian team on the final. I, I could see. Into the final day in fifth place. I could see they Milan. I could see anyone. Milan finishing fifth and and Napoli getting ahead of them and everyone else holding their top four spots. You, I could easily see. That. Do I know who win the league? No, but I as good a window as Milan has had, they haven't proven to me that they have the staying power of like they still need to prove that they can finish top four back to back years before I think title challenge is in the cards for them. That's fair. That's fair. It's a it's a thing where I want you know prove it to me first. Um, but Giroud's also a very good signing for them. Yeah, let's let's get to what uh, what the fans are definitely wanting to hear, which is our Premier League preview. And we've gone through some of the big teams already, but we're going to kind of speed through the rest of them in alphabetical order. And we'll start with Arsenal, who picked up Ben White from Brighton for a cool 50 million pounds and added a few other small pieces. A young Portuguese player by the name of Nuno Tavares from Benfica, a good little signing and Albert Lokonga from Anderlecht for, for 16 million or so pounds. A couple of good little deals. The big flaws, though, Odegaard not coming back. David Luiz, goodbye, sweet, sweet red cards. Uh, I don't know if that's a flaw. David Luiz leaving. <laughs> leaving. You know what is a flaw, though? Joe Willock. Selling Joe, Joe Willock. Joe Willock. Uh, maybe. I, I think Odegaard is the big hole in that team that they really should have done their best to bring him back. But I agree. I agree. But, I mean, I think, I guess maybe slightly unfortunate, um, the fact that, Madrid have hired Ancelotti because I think it was under Ancelotti's management that Odegaard first came to Madrid and first uh, played his first few games. So I think Ancelotti will be looking to get a lot out of him potentially. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, Arsenal, look, nothing big from them. Um, and I mean, listen, I if it works, if it works between Ben White and Gabriel as a center back pairing, and I think that as a center back pairing, thing like that will take chemistry. I don't think we can judge it until at least November or December. That's right. going to be something that takes time. But if it develops successfully for them, it is the spine of a team that is getting ready to build back for top Not four. to mention Kieran Tierney as either as a left wing back as well. Yeah, but... The four is very solid. Very solid. And, um, and with Partey in the midfield doing some good work, like there's... You're starting to see Arsenal. I think that they've bottomed and I think they're going to start coming back out up the top. There will be some... There will be some while, downfalls. It'll take a while. It will take a while. Uh, but I think that you have seen the worst. And they need a forward. At least one forward. Probably two by the time the, the rebuild is complete. But they, it's progress. And, and Arsenal fans have something to look forward to as they fight for a Europa conferencing spot. Mm -hmm. so uh, next up, Aston Villa with a huge window. I mean, Grealish out is the big deal. But I actually will get to this at the end of the episode when we... Alex and I will give you our 20-man Premier League table predictions. But Aston Villa, despite losing Grealish, I have them moving up in the table compared to last year. Huge moves. Buendia on the right, 
Bailey on the left, Ings up top are three great additions. They brought in Ashley Young on a free, and while he won't start nearly every game, that is, between Milan and a long career at United, a history and a leadership of winning that might be a good thing for the frat boy culture. They might need, like, that that leadership, that in-the-locker-room presence has a little bit of value and, and could help them as they push to, to win a spot in Europe next year. And very recently, they acquired Twanzebe on loan from United as well. Yeah, I think, you know, all in all, very solid window. The the money that they've lost, uh, that they gained from the Grealish sale, they've, they've reinvested it very well. Ings, you know, you talk about Young, right, having experience. Ings hasn't quite had the same level of experience, but he's a proven Premier League player. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he'll be very good to have up top. I, I myself am a huge fan. And then Bailey, um, that is another huge signing as well. I think, you know, he, he's one of the more, he was one of the more sought after players. And I think that a couple seasons of the Prem will be very good for him. We know he's going to be getting game time. It's a good move for him. It's a good move for, for Aston Villa. And I think overall, the front three is a lot more balanced now. Yeah. And uh, up next, we have Brentford, a team who won the promotion through the playoff, but w- to their, to their credit was far and away the third best team in the championship last year, finished seven points above fourth place. And it was just a good team uh, in the championship. Not a great team, but I'm obviously not Wofford Norwich city caliber, but they have a solid squad. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't think that, you know, two additions, uh, Iyer from Celtic and Onyeka from uh, Midtjylland. I don't think that's good enough to keep them in. I don't think they have a Premier league ready squad. Uh, I think it, if they had come up, uh, you know, an extra year ago and still had, um, what's his name on the wing? Skipping me. I, I, I'm going to look it up really quickly. Brentford, uh, but I, yeah, I don't think they have enough uh, on the whole to to stay up they came up through the playoffs as well they didn't secure that automatic spot no they didn't but they they were still a a, you know they were good enough to be the the favorite in the playoffs and and a well-deserved favorite in the playoffs Mm -hmm. and they're here and we'll 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 see we'll see how they do um brighton and hove albion they've also had another busy summer i mean not quite aston villa but i i think similar in terms of you know they got good windfall for for a good young player um, and and they've reinvested they've ugh, and they've reinvested it uh, pretty yeah. well. Oh, um, the the names coming to mind are Ollie Watkins and uh, Saeed Ben Rama. If they if Brentford had come up with those two guys still a couple of years ago uh, when they lost to Fulham in the playoff final, then I think we're talking about a team that might be able to stay because those are some talented uh, forwards that they could have really helped them because uh, a lot of teams struggle to score goals when they come up the first time and. <sighs> Yeah, I, I think lacking those two guys is going to make the difference that that makes them a yo-yo team and, and gets sent straight back down. But, I mean, Ben Rama is so good, and Ollie Watkins has been – it's taken a little bit longer for him to get his Premier League feet established, but he's also a, yeah, yeah. a fantastic he's a young player. He's a real talent. Um, so l- let's move to to Brighton, Hove Albion. Again, busy window for them. Ben White out, $50 million, That's an excellent piece of business for, for them, in my opinion. I mean, Ben White – not necessarily a proven player. I mean, he's had at the very top. I mean, for, for that price, I think it's a bit hefty, but it's the English tax. Yeah, um, and I mean, from that. credit to him for being one of the one of the defenders of the year uh, for that Leeds team in their promotion season a couple of years ago, but hasn't really done it at Brighton to the same level. 
And I think is a I think he's a thirty-five million dollar player, even with the English tax, maybe forty. I think Arsenal have overpaid for him, and Arsenal needed him, and so maybe you can justify the overpayment. But I still think it was an overpayment. I don't think Brighton lose as much as losing a fifty million pound player sounds like they lost. No, no, they're definitely not. Plus, you know, when you sign a guy like Mwipu from Salzburg, um, Sherpin from Ajax, who you know, these are two Champions League caliber teams, um, two very solid teams. So you, you do think that that will, that will add to their quality. Yeah. And uh, hopefully Sherpin helps kind of solidify things between the sticks for them. And, oh man, now we have to talk about Burnley and I just threw up my mouth a little bit. Oh, yeah, Can they go down? Like I, that I did not miss. I don't think either of us have them going down, despite the fact that I think both of the, both of us, if we could choose would want them to go down. Cause it's, it's just gross. Yeah, I mean, but unfortunately, you know, they've obviously been pretty static over these past few years, and I don't, I don't expect much to change on that front. Um, Ian Nathan Collins, uh, 12.6 million from Stoke. Ben, Gibbs, ben Gibson, they've sold for 8.4 million to Norwich. So, again, very quiet window. Don't really expect much to change with this team at all. Yeah, we've we've covered most of the Chelsea window now. Who's Chelsea. the next team we're going to talk about? The two big moves from Chelsea I think we haven't talked about are that Giroud went to Milan. So the Premier League has lost its sexiest player, which is a tragedy is just, just for our viewing experience that we used to get 20, 30 minutes of him, you know, a week just to look at. Uh, and then the other news that, 11 as well, Jeff, yeah. for the season, we can no longer uh, call upon him. And that is, that's a big loss. That's a huge uh, loss. Um, and, and the other news for Chelsea is that uh, the 12 the year old uh, pretending to be a Chelsea player, Billy Gilmore has gone to Norwich and, I think it's good for Billy Gilmore, the player, to get progression and, and get Premier League minutes, uh, which he will get plenty of at Norwich. But, I mean, to watch his little tiny baby face run out there for Scotland in the he, summer. I mean, his name, even in his name, it sounds like, like, he sounds like a baby. But when you just say his name, you picture, like, a toddler dressed in, like, uh, suspenders and, mm-hmm. you know... Just, just like he's got ketchup all over his mouth and he's like yeah. stuffing his face I'm with some Billy little fish Gilmore. and chips. Uh, uh, like, you want to know when Billy Gilmore will become a a real, like, proper player? He changes his name when he becomes Bill Gilmore. <laughs> Bill, uh, yeah, There's or even or even William Gilmore. It just go all the way back to it. I yeah. think William Gilmore might be, I mean, maybe even Sir William Gilmore, you know, exactly. We know. Yeah, we you never can know. Uh, Crystal Palace. The big news for them is actually a couple of players leaving on a free um, at the end of last year. Townsend to Everton and Van Arnold to to the Turkish League and and Galatasaray. And, I mean, Zaha still sticking around, but they they have to have some worries about whether or not they're going to be a Premier League team. Well, I don't know about that, because I think, um, I don't even know how to pronounce the name, Gwehi, Gwehi, Gehi from Chelsea. I've heard a lot of solid things about him. Um, you know, 23 million is, is quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of money to pay for an under 23 player, even in today's market. So I, I'm not so sure that that is, that that's the worst move for them. And there were a lot of Chelsea fans who were upset that they let him go out uh, on loan. So solid signing. Can he compensate for the losses of Andrew Townsend and Van Anholt? We'll see. But I, I disagree with you. I don't think there's as much of panic about at Selhurst Park as you might think. I... I wouldn't be surprised if, if early in the season, especially if they get on a bad run of fixtures, that that they could be some serious worries in uh, in in the yeah, south I mean, of London. Yeah, but, I do agree. If if they if it's a rough start, then 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 yeah. I think a lot of those fears will be justified. Um, Damari Gray back from Demari Germany. Gray. 
He's uh, going to be... Uh, really, oh, good signing. Yeah. Very uh, I don't know how it could be a good signing. He did not have a great year in Germany, and so he's coming back on the cheap. It's just a two million pound deal. Townsend for free. It's a couple of shrewd de- decisions from Everton, who have been otherwise very passive. Josh King has left for Watford on a free, and uh, rest in peace, the eternal youngster Theo Walcott has left to Southampton on a free. But lucky for us, still on our Premier League televisions. That's true. Um, and again, you know that can be a huge loss at Everton. I think that I, I don't expect Everton to be doing as well this season um, with Ancelotti gone. I uh, think they'll be, uh, and really, we... it was promising the first year, but now that he's gone, now that some of their, you know, some of their players are out, um, not too convinced overall by the signings. I mean, look, for $2 million, Dermari Gray is a great player. He's not going to really elevate this team now. No, but I, I think that, and we talked about this before the pod, there really are two Premier Leagues, and there were two Premier Leagues last year. There was one through 11, and there was 12 through 20. And I could see Everton as the worst of the good teams. I could see them getting in 10th or 11th, but I think they're going to be comfortably away from, from that slop that's all around the relegation fight. Because, I mean, the, the gap was, was 55 points with Villa in 11th and 45 points to, I believe, Brighton uh, or like Wolves and Newcastle in like 12th and 13th. But it's just one of those things that like Everton haven't improved anything, so the, they, won't, they won't move up table. But I don't think that any of the teams below them have improved enough to, to make up you know, at least a 10 point gap. Agreed. Um, so you want to get to Leeds United, who I am super excited to see this season. Um, and it has, it has less to do with the, the transfers and more to do with, you know, second season in the prem, exactly. getting their feet under them. Experience. Although junior FIPA, junior FIPA is very, I think it's a very solid move as well. I mean, again, I, I it may take, it may take six months for him to work into uh, that system there. But just, I think he would fit well, though. I think with the style, with like the Bielsa ball, the, the sort of high intensity that Bielsa wants his lead side to play with, um, I, I can just see, you know, a player who's gotten minutes for Barcelona, who I, who understands. I mean, not, it's obviously not an identical style, but it's a very positive way of playing. Um, I, I just think that Junior Firpo is going to be a very good fit for this team. And I think, like you mentioned, Jeff, that second season back in the Premier League. Is- yeah, I, I think it will take some time for Firpo just, just to get the like, because it's a different, uh, you know, as much as it's the same style in terms of how forward they are, it's a very different system than a park. It's a very more man-to-man. It's a lot more running. It's uh, and, and you do need to build up that cardio strength and that communication, that chemistry with your teammates to know where to be because it's a different style. It's like going from, you know, having played zone defense in basketball all your life to being asked to play man-to-man. It's just, a, it's, it's slightly different and it'll, there will be some mental hiccups as he figures it out. The other news is that the Jack Harrison deal from Man City has been made permanent. Uh, you know, a soft bit of news that, yeah, a couple of city, uh, Man City players that that the deal has been made permanent. Um, uh, the other one is that Angelino is going to be a, a Leipzig player. Yeah, that was. I mean, he'd been on loan there. He'd been on loan there for long enough that it it just made sense to make it permanent. Um, Leicester City. I mean, they brought in Sumare from Lille, which is a, a great deal at only 18 million pounds. Daka as well is someone I'm excited about. Yeah, uh, Daka from Salzburg for 27 million. They brought in Ryan Bertrand for free uh, as just kind of extra left back help. And they haven't really lost anyone yet. The news is James Madison could be on his way out. I don't know why. And uh, to Arsenal, no idea why he'd want to go to Arsenal. Zero. Uh, Over from Leicester? Money. Arsenal might pay him more, and by a lot. No, by a lot. 
footballing reasons. By the way, I want to make a point on DACA as well. 22 years of age in the, I mean, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It's the Austrian Bundesliga, not like the highest level, but 24 goals, four assists in 28 games, um, 22 years of age. Like if anyone comes from Salzburg, I'm always inclined to be very optimistic about that signing because Salzburg is actually another team that has historically produced some some good young talent. Um, yeah, and for them, uh, uh, Nabi Keita, I mean, obviously, yes, I'm, I'm being a bit biased here, but 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 what, some of them some, some of them come straight through through right. Salzburg, and and others come from Salzburg. A lot of the players that we think of, the the great uh, Leipzig players who move on from there, also got some time at Salzburg through the Red exactly. Bull pipeline. So uh, any move from Salzburg is you know more likely than not to be a good deal. And Daka, I think, is a massive signing for them. I think, yeah, as, especially signing. as Vardy gets you know another year older and has his minutes reduced even further. Just because he he's he's losing his ability to keep up at the Premier League level, um, it is a bit surprising to me though, given that they still do have Ianacho. I mean, that's three center forwards they have. Um, it's it's a belief that it's a belief that Vardy will rarely start and will more likely be a sub. And then it's it's adding to that that you know if anyone gets if Ianacho gets hurt and you know imagine trying to rely on Jamie Vardy to be your your week in week out starter. Um, and I think this will be a good competition for Ianacho. Let's see if he can earn the job up top. It will absolutely raise the level. Um, and and I will say the, the last thing. Ianacho and Daka. Yeah. The, the last thing I will say is that if Madison leaves, uh, there have already been rumors that Leicester have reached out to Manchester United about Lingard as his replacement. And that's not the worst move that they could make if Madison's on his way out. That that could be a good deal of business, and for United, it clears a few things up and gets another player off the books, which might be a good idea. For Man City, not a whole lot of change. Uh, Aguero got on a free, but we knew that you know from way early at the end of last year. Just grill and just grill, and and it's a great added addition, and it's a it's a team that will be first or right there fighting for first again, to no one's surprise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, again, and I think the only. You know, the concern for me is again the just center forward um, with with Gabriel Jesus. Can, can he lead that front line for a title winning team? I'm not sure about that. You know, yeah, I, and and the question becomes, I mean, like the question for Man City's title almost becomes, can they do enough around Jesus? Because they won it last year and they didn't really have Aguero for a lot of it, yeah. and even. Like by the time Aguero was back, really playing for them a good bit and going after Rooney's record, it was really, you know, the title was already wrapped up. And so, you know, it, it could be that between the creativeness of Grealish and and Sterling's ability to get on the end of balls and, you know, Mara's still has a fantastic, you know, outside in cut and shot. Like they still have goals aplenty from that team just from being creative. And, you know, it maybe maybe Jesus is good enough. To you know, for a team that's built around everything else already being perfect, possibly. But I think he's gonna have to work his way to get into a team because when you're when your side is basically offering you to you know a side like Tottenham because they want a cheaper deal on a player like Harry Kane, um, it, it's a bad sign. So he's gonna have to work to get into that team. Um, and again, look, that Kane makes a huge difference. If City sign Kane, they run away with it, no question, yeah. no one stands a chance. Yeah. Um, um, we'll see, we'll see how that develops. But. Yeah, and we talked plenty about Man City. I think Sancho and Veron are fantastic bits of the uh, bits of business. And and the the real shocker for United isn't um, that Sancho and Veron are fantastic bits of business. It's that they got done before like the last two weeks of the deadline. They, like 
you know, United got a new director of football and this was his first summer really kind of behind the wheel. And he's done a good job of, of not just addressing the needs. better than Ed Woodward has in the past like five years already. I'll tell you that. And importantly, he got the deals done quickly. He got yeah. these guys in there so that they can get there and get even a little bit of a preseason. Ferran is still quarantining, but Sancho has been back playing and practicing with the side and getting ready for week one against Leeds. And that's fantastic. As opposed to, you know, not too long ago when we were bringing in our own slab head. And that deal gets done at the end of August after games had already been played. And he wasn't really, you know, fit to be, you know, the best version of himself and working with the team until November. Right. And, and, you know, this is, it it makes, it makes a huge difference to have these guys here, let them build up the chemistry with each other and and get things going faster. And in terms of departures, um, no one, I, Dallow hasn't left yet um and probably won't um i mean preseason pirlo andres Pereira. did you see that that preseason goal he scored all right, all right. do not disrespect andre pirlo like that Every no time. i'm disrespecting andres Pereira with with calling him preseason you did not preseason pirlo is incredible i know he's playing against 15 year olds from like the local high school but oh that that off the crossbar down and into the top of the net is about as sexy as a goal can be. And he, he does play surprisingly well in the preseason only to just be completely useless and, and absolutely brain dead on the pitch, you know, when it actually matters, but please someone, cause someone from like Portugal or like, you know, a lower tier Spanish team or Italian team, cause someone come take him. Cause he has some talent, you know, he's, he makes mistakes, but he also had, you know, he has the ability to make miraculous things happen on occasion. And, and Dallo might just be, uh, the backup right back this year because uh, Wambasaka played the entire year last year, almost every Premier League minute, and you can't rely on that as much. And Brandon Williams isn't the answer, so maybe Dallo sticks around. Maybe after his year in Italy, you know, Ole thinks that he can serve well as a backup, and if he's willing to take the backup and the cup job, uh, and the you know the cup games job, it maybe maybe it works. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but either way, he's not. He's obviously not going to be a you know a huge time player for United. Um, let's get to Liverpool because it looks like we skipped them. Pretty quiet window. Konate in, Van Alden out for free. Harry Wilson, who's spent the last few seasons on loan, the Fulham for 12 million. Um, yeah, not much to say. I, I obviously I am a bit disappointed that they didn't really shake up the squad. Having said that, having said that, I think that a fully fit Liverpool team is still very capable of challenging um Man City or whoever for the title. Uh, just assuming that, you know, Van Dyke and Matip stay fit. Uh, and, and plus, you know, Konate is also another fine, fine alternative uh, as, as well. And I'm... I is think, he an alternative? Do you think he's not the starting yeah, I don't, I don't back? Know. I don't know. I think he could definitely get into that starting 11. Um, but either way, I think Liverpool have, a, you know, a good amount of depth in the back. And hopefully they won't be relying on guys like, you know, Reese uh, Reese Williams again. But... I think that you know the hard, whole for the whole for Liverpool off. is the whole for Liverpool is genuinely uh, in the midfield now with with Wijnaldum leaving and with just the, the midfielder they get yeah. a year older they lose uh, you know one of their better pieces That's and yeah I mean the question is is Curtis Jones ready to take the step step no no for a top four team awesome. yes for a title team no you want to talk about Fred not being good enough to win a title Curtis Jones is not good enough to win a title. I, I agree, but I think I think having him on the bench, it, it's I think he adds enough depth for, for the season. I'm not okay. 
I mean, just Curtis Jones alone, no, but Curtis Jones, Nabi Keita, who's had a very solid preseason. Um, so, I mean, big if, but if Nabi Keita can remain fit, um, you know, I'm going to be optimistic about that. Uh, and then James Milner, who, yes, is a year older, but comes on and does a job, puts in a shift. So we'll see. And then up top, it's really, that, that's where I'm a bit concerned. Um, and I, my, my hope is really that if, I mean, what I would like to see, how I'd like to sliver the lineup is Mane, Jota, and Salah. Um, and, you know, my hope is that no one gets injured, really, because Divock Origi is not, is not the alternative. He just isn't. Um, and I'm fine with rotating Salah, uh, not Salah, but uh, Mane, Jota, and Firmino. But beyond that, I look at Liverpool's bench, Origi's not going to fill in. It's just not. I mean, I know, obviously. Yeah, but I mean, with, with, goals, with those, with those uh, three and Jota, with, with kind of the, the default front three and Jota, like that's four enough that like you have rotation. And obviously, you know, when, when it comes, you know, fast and heavy at, you know, two games a week, then you're going to have to have to have better rotation. I but agree. yeah, there's, there's just a little bit, there feels like there's a little bit missing and this is just, it's weird to say, but it's a Liverpool team without debt. Like I don't look to the bench and go, no, these don't. are guys that can like, yeah. like these are guys that can help beat, your your Brightons, your Villas, your Evertons, your Arsenals of the world when the stars have to play Juve midweek or PSG midweek or whoever it is. Like that's where the worry comes from is that like can you still, you know, take care of business in the Premier League when, you know, it's it's guys like, you know, Jota and and Curtis Jones well, think, starting in the midfield. I think Jota they can take care of business. I think Jota's a talent and I want to see him start and I think if he does start, I think um I can easily see him bagging 15 to 18 goals. Yeah. Shakiri gone, I believe, as well. He hasn't left yet. And I'm quite yeah, surprised. Not yet? No. Okay. I, I um, expect him to go, maybe not before the season starts, but before the window closes, I expect him to be on his way out. Yeah, I mean, he'll um, be on his way out before the season starts. But but no Wijnaldum replacement is big to me because, that, um, that's concerning. I mean, J- Jordan Henderson is is still fantastic in that midfield. Tiago still... He is. He is injury prone and and he's injury prone and another year older. You know, he's 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 31 now. And it's not like injuries go away as you get older. Yeah. And, and plus, Thiago I mean, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about another year older, Thiago's Milner's Milner's 35. Milner, Thiago's yeah. Thiago's 30. Yeah, I mean, it's Liverpool. a lot of guys, a lot of guys on Liverpool hitting the wrong side of 30. They they really should have been more active this window. And I'm upset that they weren't. Um, yeah. Next window, they, they better be making changes because that's what I was expecting. That's what I was expecting this window. And I think one of the big reasons that getting into the Champions League was such a big deal was that they'd be able to attract, you know, the type of players, the, the, the quality of player that would help them to rebuild. Yeah, and it's. I haven't done that. Um, I so think that next summer, next summer, I think Liverpool and United are going to be fighting for Camaviga. Uh, as as a midfielder, yeah. who is a who is a fantastic young midfielder, and I think makes either one of those teams potentially a title favorite. Um, if he has another great year in France and doesn't move this year, I think he like by himself takes either of these teams over the top over city and then over, you know, whichever team doesn't get him. Cause if you don't think Fred's good enough, I mean, Camaviga, uh, Pogba, Bruno as, as a midfield, I mean, maybe, maybe Pogba's gone by then, but, um, Donnie Vanderbeek has put on a couple of pounds of muscle. He looks bigger, faster, and stronger. And I'm excited to see what he can do in year two as well. So I, I, I seriously think I seriously think midfield is going to be the next big issue for, for Liverpool and United to solve. And 
it might start to become an issue for, for Man City as well. I mean, Bernardo Silva getting up there, uh, you know, if if they do play Grealish and Sterling on the wings a lot, it might be that Mares slots back into the midfield. And the question is, can he succeed there? I mean, obviously in Fernandinho, Gundogan and, and De Bruyne, they have a fantastic starting three at the midfield. But do they have the do they have the depth they used to have? I mean, David Silva gone, Aguero gone. They're just they're starting to lose these pieces one at a time, and you have to you have to question whether they they have the midfield depth they used to, and whether they might also be in the in the market for Camavinga next summer. Yeah, I mean, it would be something to keep an eye on um, for sure. Let's let's do a speed run through the likes of New, uh, Newcastle, Norwich, and Southampton. Not much to report there. Newcastle, no major moves. Norwich, Jeff, have you heard anything? I uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Billy Gilmore the. Gilmore on loan, yeah. Gilmore was a Gilmore was a sneaky good move. Um, they've done some things. Uh, they've made some little moves here and there to to kind of help maybe keep them up this time. Um, uh, they brought in uh, Milo Rachika from from Werner as they went down for twelve million. Uh, ben Gibson as a center back from Burnley is not a terrible bit of business, especially that Premier League experience and that that experience from Burnley matters even more when you're going to try and you know, sneak your way into 17th or 16th. I don't expect, unlike the seasons past, I don't expect any of the promoted teams to give a run at like mid table. I, I don't think there's a Leeds or a Sheffield or, you know, a Wolves before that kind of a team getting promoted this year. I think it's teams that are all going to be in and around the that 17th spot and, and fighting to stay up. Right. Yeah, no, completely agreed. Um... And, and the worst part for them is, uh, you know, the, the big, their biggest player in Emiliano Buendia leaves to Villa for, for 42 million and they haven't spent it. How, I mean, they've spent it kind of, but you get this huge influx of money with the Premier League TV rights and to go out and to have, uh, you know, a net transfer of like 1.3 million pounds is just, I want to see a little bit more adventurousness from, from Norwich. I wanted to see them go out and really show that they're ready to stay up and maybe, you know, between winning the championship last year and keeping a lot of the guys that, you know, had Premier League experience that they can stay up. But I, I don't know. They're they're a firm maybe for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's going to be close. And I think if they do say that, but I have them just staying up, it's going to be yeah. I mean, it's uh, going down to the final day. It might be they stay up not because they are good enough to stay up, but because there are other teams that are worse. Worse, exactly. Um, so let's get to Southampton. Danny Ings out, haven't replaced him. Big loss, in my opinion. Um, yeah, <laughs> they also they're all they're also going to have some concerns. Despite you know, I think what was it four weeks in, they were title contenders in huge they, fat they air were quotes. Top of the league after after eight games. <sighs> sure. Yeah. No, they were. <laughs> I, I know, but like, yeah, yeah it's not going to happen. I mean, that uh, that was they were like I say sure because City and United started with the game in hand and. City ended up City United both ended up winning those games. And not that United would have been ahead of them, but if you give City that game in hand all the way back to the start of like when they were supposed to have played it, it would have been way more clear how good of a team they were. They weren't actually in that much trouble. They were always two, three points off being first and with that game in hand. So well, e- either way, um, I don't think either of us are expecting too much from Southampton. Comfortable no. survival, but you know uh, I don't even know about comfortable survival. I mean I, I, I still have them surviving comfortably, comfortably enough. I mean, not, I, I think, I think for the, the way I see it going for them, right. Is that for, for a while they struggle. And in the end, they, they just about pull it off. 
Yeah, uh, maybe maybe a big Sam kind of move. In the end, it's like it's it's comfortable. The distance on paper is comfortable enough, but it doesn't necessarily like reflect how close it's been throughout the season. That's, 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 that's what I mean, comfortable. And that's that's why I can see that playing out. That's fair. I mean, they they lost Mario Lamina to Nice. They lost Ryan Bertrand on a free to Leicester. They they lost Danny Ings, obviously. They lost Angus Gunn to Norwich. I mean, there's some pieces here that are missing. Um, they're not going to have Minamino anymore. That loan is over. Forgot about that actually. Um, and, and the the big arrivals are 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 uh, a player from from Stad Brest, uh, twenty seven or twenty nine, sorry, in league, uh, in uh, in France as a left back for thirteen million pounds. Doesn't impress me. Theo Walcott, the the you know permanent youngster. I'm pretty sure I'm dyslexic because this says thirty two, but I swear he's still twenty three. <laughs> um, I mean twenty two. Yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't impress me. Uh, not not a whole lot of these moves impress me at all. Um, Southampton gonna be very quiet. Gonna you know probably fifteenth, sixteenth, and and I think you're right. I think they'll be safe, but not comfortably safe. Right. Uh, even if even if on paper it looks comfortable, it's it's it won't be that, Tottenham. Yeah, that's the thing. I think in the end, the distance will be like a good five or six points, but throughout the, they, they will struggle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tottenham. Tottenham in Christian Romero, a, a good little deal, but out excellent, excellent deal. I uh, the the problem really is is on the way out. They they lost Bale, Alderweireld is finally gone, Lamella is gone, and Harry Kane is still in Miami vibing. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's difficult to really rate uh, Tottenham's window because there is still a very big possibility that they move here. That well, that Harry Kane moves on. I don't think Tottenham would want to move him on. Um, look, Romero's a good signing. I think that he, he does add a lot of quality at the back. Um, I am slightly more optimistic about the fact that they now have Nuno, uh, the former Wolves coach. I think it's a good, I think it's a good fit. Nuno's obviously, he did a great job with Wolves. Um, so I think, you know, maybe taking Tottenham in another direction isn't, uh, isn't, isn't the worst move. And I think that, look, this is a squad of talented players and when they're not, with a manager who constantly who's toxic and throws them under the bus, I think that they can do a lot better. Now, I don't know if they can get top four, um, but I, maybe they can challenge a bit more closely. I, I don't think so. I, I think even with the improvement at manager, the, the losses are too, I mean, to lose Juan Foyth and Alderweireld. And I mean, it's, it's little things, but like Danny Rose gone on a free, uh, Gazaniga gone on a free to Fulham. Uh, I mean, Gareth Bale not there anymore. A huge, huge loss for them. Joe Hart moving to Celtic for one point oh, two million dollars. Yeah, a huge deal. And the only real addition that they've made is they brought in a keeper from Atalanta on loan, a center back from Atalanta on loan in in Christian Romero, who I think is a good deal. But I'm not. I don't think that impresses me very much. And Brian Gill from Sevilla for about. 27 and a half million signing though. Brian Gill's a good player. Yeah. These are fantastic signings for a Europa league team. And, and that's, that's my point is that, you know, where's the, you look around and you, and you know, Kanate, Veron, Sancho, uh, even Ben white and, uh, and Jack Greel, like, you know, they're watching as the teams around them in the traditional old school, big six, you know, actually spend money. Yeah. I and mean- they're not. Still, still, I'm expecting improvement. I mean, like I said, I don't think they have a shot at getting in top four, but I expect them to improve with the business. Yeah. Um, the, the problem really is, and we'll get to this as we break down what we think the table looks like. There really is, like, it seems 
it seems obvious to both of us. You you have Chelsea, some combination of Chelsea, Liverpool, United, and City. Yeah, and and like by a not close margin, right? Like those are clearly the four best teams in England, and yeah. Leicester is clearly the fifth best team in England. Yeah, so play. now you now you start to ask, you know, can Leeds step up and take the sixth spot? Can um, you know, can a can a West Ham story continue itself for another year? Can Villa put together a, a Europa League run? There, there are all these mid-table teams, and you go, are Spurs really good enough that they're going to comfortably get that sixth spot? Because I don't know if they are. Well, we'll get to that. I want to get to that in further detail when we discuss the table because I, I do actually have a bit more faith in Tottenham than most people would. But Watford, West Ham, and Wolves. Um, Watford in Danny Rose, Joshua King. No one of note departing. Um, Jeff, I mean, sorry, sorry. Uh, the Departing from Watford, sorry, departing Watford from the Premier League. Goodbye. Uh, you know, yeah. see you in Watford two years. Self is departing. Um, yeah, and then it, West Ham and Wolverhampton. West Ham have had a somewhat busy summer. They brought in Ariola, Craig Dawson. Oh, I think they finalized the uh, the deal for him. He was previously on loan from Watford, but again, pretty uneventful. Um, I don't really. That's see- right. The the big out from them is actually Jesse Lingard, who do, has not returned yet. They That's haven't true. finalized and that Jesse deal. Jesse Lingard was a big part of that push for Champions League football next year. And and, was, and they were. Bad. It's not that they weren't a good team without him. It's it's like how much he helped in that push when we were seriously talking for a while there about can they nip you know Liverpool, can they nip Chelsea, can they nip Leicester for that four spot? It was because of how good they. It wasn't just because the results. It was how good they looked with Lingard, and. You know, uh, you know, all the all the love in the world to Jesse Lingard, who has gone through some very tough things personally and and to go out and have fun and uh, play a half a season like that was fantastic to watch just for the man. But I, I'd love to see him go back down to London and kill it. I'd love to see him go to Leicester. I like I think I that think the Leicester Premier League. I think the Premier League is better when Jesse Lingard is on the pitch, having fun, doing his little dances, you know, getting getting the uh, the Emirates all riled up. I like just just for entertainment value, I think it's a better prem with Jesse Lingard starting. And I don't think that happens at United, and I'm, I'd be happy to see it happen somewhere else. Yeah. Um, either way, I think, you know, he'll definitely be a loss for West Ham. And then finally, Wolverhampton. Again, they lost their manager. Other than that, I mean, pretty, pretty uneventful for them, I would say. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, it's been a little bit of like, you know, not just not in, not like not any big moves. We usually expect some some young Portuguese superstar to come through, and you know we don't really really have that. We have uh, Jose saw the the goalkeeper replacing Rui Patricio, who who has gone to Roma. Um, you have guys who have departed, like you know, um, who uh, William Jose is is gone to Real Sociedad. His loan is over. Um, it's just little. It's little things. It's 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 little things where you expect like you expect this Wolves team to, you know, uh, and Ruben Neves is is rumored to to Arsenal, uh, which is an, a spicy change that that really makes a difference. But the the big deal for Wolves is uh, is whether Jimenez will ever play again. I, I think he's been back in training though, if I'm not mistaken. Has he? I might be wrong about that. But. Yeah, it looks like uh, the Guardian is saying that he is, uh, quote unquote, as good as ever after yeah. coming back from his skull yeah. fracture. They have like reporting the same thing. Um, so, wow. I mean, that was. 
I didn't even realize his skull was actually fractured. Um, you you want to talk about incredible stories? If Jimenez goes out and because like I think by himself he drags Wolves up two or three spots, and that actually is going to change how I'm going to place some of these teams. I think I want to move Wolves. No, I'm going to leave them where they are. I don't think that. I don't think it changes a whole lot. I still have them as some of the best of the rest in terms of the the non top eleven. Um, but maybe, and part of that is down to yes, they get they'll get Jimenez back, but they're losing. Nuno and I think he was important for the style they played and playing above their weight class really uh, agreed but with that um let's get to exactly where we're expecting each of these teams to finish and let's start at the bottom shall we yeah let's uh let's start at the bottom where we actually have a, a bit of consensus in Newcastle. 20th place goodbye Newcastle yeah. bye bye they've done nothing bye. they what they really need is uh, a change in ownership and hopefully a, a you know, a season long vacation to the championship changes things for them and, and they move up and let's get to, to my number 19 next who you have at 18. Uh, we both think they're going down just in slightly different spots. Watford. Watford. Yeah. Um, not expecting too much of them They're You know, normally when you get promoted, I mean, when you get promoted, you get a ton of money. Watford haven't really spent, spent that much. Uh, and that's a lot of that is that I think, you know, clubs like Watford, um, especially with COVID happening, kind of took that and said, oh, that's our extra revenue for all the, you know, the gate we missed for the last year and a half. And I think a lot of clubs are kind of doing that, uh, especially the promoted ones are looking at it and saying, uh, the championship really didn't have fans ever uh, during the COVID season. So I'm going to take this like hundred million pounds and say, thank you very much. This is going to keep us afloat for another couple of years. We're not going to try and use it to stay in the prem. We're going to see what we have with the, the current, you know, roster that we do have. And the thing so, is, we won't be staying in the prep. Um, so no, they won't. Down. In 19th, I have Brentford. Um, again, I, I just, I don't think they really have enough to stay up like like we discussed. Um, and then for 18th, I have Watford. Uh, yeah. So we both agree Watford's going down. You have I, I have Crystal Palace in 18th. I think that there is trouble in South London and I think that things could fall off the wheels here and just go very poorly, very quickly. I think you could get, you know, all it takes is a problem with Zaha and that team is like maybe promotion playoff caliber. Maybe. It's not a good roster, top to bottom. They don't play good football. I think it's a decent roster. I, that's, I just disagree with you on that, but I think, again, yeah, I, that's... I like Gehi. I think he, you know, he adds quality. Townsend's a big loss. But I was about to say this is a team that finished seventh last season. I was just looking at the table for this year, and obviously, no, no game has been played. They're there in alphabetical order. No, um, yeah, they finished 14th last year. It's actually yeah. on the left of our pod doc. Yeah, um, uh, I, I, I'm slightly more. I actually see them finishing comfortably mid table, as as I'll get to. Um, but in 17th, Norwich. 17th, you have Norwich just barely staying up. This is actually where I have Brentford. I have Brentford just squeaking out, and I could be very wrong. This might just be. You know what I what I worry about with Palace, and if I'm wrong on Palace by four or five spots, then it moves Brentford comfortably into like I think they're in the relegation fight until match day 38. Yep. And and whether they stay up or or go down, I think has to do with whether or not there's a team, there's a Premier League established team that goes well. Because I think Newcastle's gone, I think Watford's gone. We both agree, but I think Brentford's chance of staying up is that they squeak past the team that we don't expect to go down. And for me, that's Crystal Palace. Right. Uh, and for me, uh, that would be Norwich. But um, 
So you have Norwich in 14th. I have the, or sorry, sorry, no, I have in 16th. I have in 16th. You have in 17th. I think that they're the same. Now. I mean, they're barely going to survive. I, um, I think that they're a little bit better, barely going to survive. I actually had a question about flipping them with Burnley, uh, but I, I think that Norwich are going to be safe on like day 36, maybe after day 36 with like two games left. I think they, I think they're right around the fight, but I think they get out of it with a couple of weeks to go. I think, see, that, that's, that's what I think happens to Southampton. Um, okay. they're, and they're that's, that's what you have in 16th. They're, yeah, they're, they're dragged out in there for a while, but game 33, 34, they just about, they just about see it off. Um, and then by then the final points margin is probably going to be a comfortable five or six points, but again, not an accurate reflection on just how poor they're going to be this season. Um, yeah. 15, and then here we have our consensus. We yeah. have, we have Burnley at 15. And I'll get to my placement of Southampton in a second because I agree with you on a lot of things. I just think that there are worse teams in the Prem than them this year. Right. Um, which is like compared to last year when I like last year, I genuinely thought this is about like as good a Prem as we've had um, in a while, actually. And I think it was proof that that we saw Fulham uh, and and uh, West Brom go down like immediately right back down. And that Sheffield was just incredibly garbage and got lucky the year before, and it, things got stale in the prem. But I wouldn't say they I, got lucky the year before. I mean, they, they almost finished it, in the Champions League spots. That's not luck. Over thirty-eight games, it's not luck. It but, is luck if the it is luck if the year afterwards you're so comfortably twentieth that it's a done deal before Christmas. I mean, okay, I, I don't want to stray too far off topic, but I mean, in, if in thirty-eight, it games, was okay. Seven, okay, luck, luck isn't the right word. They, they, they played they, a, they did something right. I don't okay. know. I don't know what went wrong the next season. What? Doubt, but here, it's not luck. I, I'm, I was wrong in that. It's not luck. It's that they played a style and they were committed to that style, and that style worked because they hadn't been seen in the prem before, and they played a very specific, rigid five at the back with some interesting wing play, and it worked in the prem for a year. And then managers sat there over the summer and said, "How do we make sure that Sheffield becomes a free six points?" And they figured things out, and Sheffield didn't adapt. Sheffield came in very rigidly saying, this is our style. This is how we got promoted. This is how we'll play in the Prem. And it worked for one year as a gimmick. And then it stopped working. Genuinely, I think that's what happened with them. But between them and then two teams immediately getting demoted, um, I think we're nearing like an ideal Prem last year. But a lot of the teams like Newcastle has done nothing to improve their squad. Palace has done just about nothing to improve their squad. And I, I mean... God, Burnley in 15th. I, I'm doing my best to kind of talk around them because I don't like talking about Burnley. They're hideous to watch. No. They're, they're English Getafe, and I, I wish I could put them in 20th, but I actually wish I could put them in, like, 23rd. <laughs> yeah, you just had them in the championship, like, not even playing a Premier League game, just, like, top tier. No, but you don't want – because technically 23rd means you get a playoff spot in the championship, so we don't even want 20. We want All right, like, like 30. 30. No, like, like 30th. 50th. Send them down to League One. Get, it, <laughs> yeah. get them out of here. Um, no, but anyway, yeah, I mean, Burnley never really do much, but always seem to survive. Just always seem, always seem to, to sneak their way into points against teams. They shouldn't, uh, they, they play, they play, you know, quote unquote, good defense. They play aggressive physical defense and it tends to work, you know, unfortunately a little too often for them to get relegated up in 14th. I have Southampton. We've kind of both set our piece on them. They're I think they're a little higher, despite I think we probably have them on around the same total of points. I think it's like 43, 44, 45. Yeah, around that. Around that. Um, right. But but the difference is I think that there are teams way below that. I think that seriously this year, the magic number might be like 34. 
uh, I don't know. I actually expect it to be. A... I don't see. Here's why. Like on the one know. hand, on the one hand, these teams at the bottom could all take three points off each other and raise I'm that bar. But expecting it to be a bit higher. I don't know. I don't expect. I don't expect the top half of the table to drop that many points. Like I really expect it to be a huge golfing class. Uh, but you have all the way down in 14th Brighton. And I guess this is where you tell me that X goals don't matter and that they aren't a good team. No, this is where I tell you that X goals are actually a pretty solid indication of a team's quality. They got very unlucky last season. I don't think they get as unlucky this year. I think Brighton, again, th- there's more to them than what we saw last season. Um, so that's, again, why I have... I, but I still don't think they're quite at the level of a Wolves or an Everton. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, I, I love to to jerk off X goal as, as an incredible stat. But I think it, one of the problems is that you have to understand what it means and it's expected goals for the average player in any position on any shot. And we can look at Brighton and say, well, maybe they as a team have just proven to us that they have below average finishing. Cause that there's two takeaways. One Brighton is unlucky to have been this bad at finishing or two just not Brighton good. is bad at finishing. Yeah. Right there, there are players that continue that consistently outperform their X goal, which means there are players that continuously underperform their X goal. And if that's who Brighton has taking their shots, then it's going to be a problem, and they haven't done anything to fix it. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I fall into the former category of Brighton are a good team; they've just been unlucky with their finishing, um, which is why I believe in them and that they can get you know 14th place. Don't expect too many relegation concerns. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. I actually have them uh, a little bit higher in twelfth. Uh, but while we're talking about them, we might as well. I think that uh, I think that them getting even just a little bit luckier and finishing, you know, instead of on forty-one, finishing at like 47, 48 is going to get them into twelfth. But that's just how I see this league playing out this year. And you know, the team we skipped is actually another bit of consensus we have finishing thirteenth last year. You know, on forty-five points and and just missing out on twelfth by not points. Not goal differential, but by goal scored to Newcastle. 13th last year, 13th this year for both of us, Wolves. Yeah, um, again, you know, I mean, I'm saying a lot because generally for most of these teams, it has been a very quiet transfer window. But when you have a quiet transfer window, I'm not really going to expect you to really improve or get worse. Yeah. Um, and There's, there's a balancing act. And, and yeah. I talked about it when we talked about the transfers. There's Nuno out, demotion. There's getting Jimenez back promotion there's maybe Ruben Neves is gone and if like I have them at 13th I could move them down to 15th easily if you Neves is gone them up to 15th if you know depending on how well he managed. Uh, yeah sorry so yeah. you can also move them up to you can, you can, you can I can move them up to, up to like 11th or 10th easily yeah depending on uh, how, how well Jimenez plays so if Jimenez is playing well and importantly Nuno stays or not Nuno uh Neves stays yeah. And the loss of Nuno isn't as big because they have some talent. Maybe, you know, top, I really think top 10 is not out of the cards for them. It's just about what happens as the transfer window ends. And we'll get more clarity exactly. on that in the coming weeks. Exactly. Next up, uh, we both kind of agree on where this team will be. You have them in 12th year where I have Brighton and I have them up at 11th is Everton. Right. And, and I have West Ham in 11th. So what do you have yeah. there? Um, I have Everton at 11th and you have them at 12th, I think for the same reason. I think that we both kind of agree they are a tier above the relegation battle just completely. Right. But they're about the they're they're the one mid-table team I don't expect to like you don't see a a world where they get a Europa League run or maybe even, you know, sprint at a shot for fourth. Or win like the every- league in September like they did last year. Um, I, they could still win the league in September, but you no one sees Everton as as, you know, post 
you know, festive period, maybe, you know, post that fixture congestion in March, no one sees them as serious contenders for top six. And so I think putting, I think they're about the worst of the teams in that comfortable mid table spot where they're not worried about relegation. And for me, that comes out to 11th. I actually think they're like the best of the team. I mean, look, they're not going to be worried about relegation at all, but like, like you said, there were sort of two halves last season. And you look at Villa at 55 points and 11th and then the 12th, Newcastle 45. I expect Everton to be at like the best of the bottom half. Right. Real? Okay. So that's, yeah. so we do disagree. Cause I, I think that Everton could, I think Everton could be the line drawn. And also this year, I think that with Brighton moving up in points, I told you, I think that they're at 48, 49, 50. I think that that line isn't going to be as clear. I think it'll be like two teams, three teams that separate clearly the second half from clearly the top half. Mm-hmm. And for me, Everton falls in the last team that's clearly in the top half. I think they'll get, you know, 53, 54, yeah. 55 points. I mean, where we do agree is that they're like on the border though. Yeah, um, they're they're right there where yeah. they're not in the conversations with the Burnleys, the Southamptons, the Brentfords, the Norths, the Watfords, the Palace. They're not in that conversation. They're getting relegated, but they don't belong in the conversation with West Ham, Leeds, Arsenal, Villa, Spurs, you know, Leicester. You know, could be looking for European spots. Exactly. I mean, they're in a they're in a tier possibly by themselves or possibly with Brighton if Brighton plays well, and with Wolves if things break Wolves' way. Right. Um. So then in tenth, I you know, sorry, in eleventh, excuse me. Um, I have West Ham. I was pretty impressed by just how well they played last season. Not getting Jesse Lingard is a big blow, but again, that that's for me what brings them down to sort of, you know. Yeah, I have them falling off their point European total. Football, being in contention for European football and sort of comfortably yeah. mid-table. Um, I, I do have them falling off a fair bit on their points. Yeah. They had 65 points last year. It was good enough for six. A couple things factor in. One, they will be playing in the Europa League. You know, those Thursdays and that, that travel does that has a that has an actual impact. It has a measurable impact on teams. And we've seen it before. Teams that jump up to six oftentimes finish at eight, exactly. nine, ten, eleven because of the added pressure of European football. And must have haven't really signed them. They haven't really bolstered your squad to be able to like cope with that. They have it, um, and you you have to wonder for the amount of players that they had who played possibly the best seasons of their careers, how many of them are going to repeat it? Exactly. Because you know, I'm I'm not worried about these players kind of can I'm not worried that they're suddenly going to lose quality. I'm I'm worried that these guys who were on the best form of their lives are going to come back down to their normal, which is good enough to be comfortably mid table and to produce an occasional upset, but not good enough to really push, especially with the added games. Yeah. I mean, so we we roughly have rest this. I mean, I have them in eleventh, you have them in tenth. But yeah, you know, well, we we, last, we think the same we see them very much the same way. way. Yeah, um, and then yeah, I think their season, you know, we agree on how their season. Uh, yeah, and and I want you to tell me how. And, and there's there's kind of four teams in particular here that like I could see moving Palace. Like I could move Palace up to like fifteenth ahead of Burnley. But there there are three or four teams here that I want you to justify why Palace are better than. Sure, and it's sure. Brighton, Wolves, Everton, and West Ham. What what makes you think Palace is better than them? Um, honestly, I'm just hyping on the uh, the Gehi train. I can't pronounce his name. Uh, Gehi. Gehi, Gehi, thank you. Um, look, he's a good signing. I, look, Andrews Tanzad isn't, you know, you don't want to lose him, but I don't think he's, like, irreplaceable. Um, I think the, the, the anger over Chelsea fans that they, that they you know, lost, or that they at least, uh, yeah, that they lost Gehi, I, I think, you know, says at least something about what he can offer. Yes, he's one player, but look where, let's see where Crystal Palace finished last, uh, last season. 14. Unfortunately, yeah, 14. That's, that's my point, is that yeah. 
I don't think that he makes. I don't think that he makes an addition that jumps them four spots. I think. I think West Ham, Everton, and potentially Wolves drop, and that's why. You know, I I factor that in as as well as the fact that I think um, there is some potential for this Crystal Palace side to improve, and that that's why I think you know they are a bit more comfortable in tenth place. Yeah. Um, West Ham, uh, Wolves, I could get because Palace finished a point behind them. But you think Palace is going to make up a 15-point difference, and that's against Everton. And more importantly, this is the one I don't believe in at all. I think you should at least have these two flipped. You think that one addition for Palace makes them 21 points, fix the 21-point gap between them and West Ham last year? Do I? Like... I mean, like but, that, but, look, but like we said, there are a lot of factors that, that are going to impact West Ham. Yeah, I, I, I agree. West Ham will come down, and you think Palace will come up. I think this is I, the beginning. of. I think last year was less Palace having a down year and more the beginning of the end. Okay. I mean, look, I don't think – I honestly, I really don't think they, they have a terrible squad. I still think guys like James Tompkins, Jeffrey Schlupp, um, um, you know, Jordan Ayew, Klein. Uh, I, I, think they're sol- I think they're a very, very solid group of players. I just I, – I do. Yeah. Uh, does it does it matter to you that, that Roy Hodgson is gone? Yes, I think that. Do, helps. do you think that's a uh, in a good way? Yeah. Okay, I think that I think that actually hurts them. Oh, okay. Well, then we disagree. But I'm yeah, gonna, no, it's a uh, it's Roy a fun Hodgson. disagreement to have. I'll be excited to come back and look at this in a few months, and and then again at the end of the year, and just Roy see how Hodgson close we were. He's very. I don't know. He's just. I don't want to say the game's past him, but I just think he's. You know, he his style is very much that of like old school English long ball football that is pretty, pretty outdated. Um, and look, I, you know, I don't think Patrick Vieira is, is that bad an option. Um, I think he's a good replacement. I think, you know, he's an ambitious young coach, more to prove. I think he did a very solid job at Nice. Um, even though, you know, in the end, I believe he did end up getting fired, but I think his first year or so there was, was somewhat impressive and I'm going to be slightly biased towards him as well um, because he was a former coach of New York city FC. So okay, that's that's fair, and and I'll I'll give you being biased on that. Uh, but next up is uh, we have we have these teams flip flopped in eighth and ninth, and yeah, they finished in in eighth well. and ninth last year. Uh, in in you know agreement, we have Arsenal and Leeds. Yeah, uh, I have Leeds in eighth. You have them in ninth. But again, I I just see them getting that. You know, like I said, they'll be an improved team. Um, and it's not that the reason I don't have them higher just because other teams will have improved as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're, we're in pretty much complete agreement in here that I think they will definitely be an improved team. And I think Arsenal will be worse. Yeah. Um, that that's fair. I, I could see Arsenal. I don't really know how Arsenal could be. Like, I don't, I see them kind of having a floor of like 57, 58 points. Um, I don't see them any higher than 60. And I think, yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean is I think that they're pretty comfortable in that range. I think that they're pretty com- – and, like, I guess the question is, uh, you know, where we see leads. I, I see leads kind of – I think they have a higher high, but they also have a lower low. There's a chance that there's – you know, that people go back and they watch the United 6-2 game and they use that as a template for how to beat leads. Because, uh, it, it, mm. like, I, I of all the – like, that – And I think Leeds will – they're going to be a different team than what we saw. The team that shipped – They're going to be an improved team, yes, they're but not, there's they're a – ch- I don't think they're going to be as open defensively. They're, maybe, but there's a chance that they are stubborn and Bielsa's a little stubborn and says, this is how I play football, and he stays as open. And, you know, they – teams figure them out a little bit. I, like, that's, that's why I ha- – that's just the only reason I'm hedging that they're below Arsenal is the, like, the off chance – that they get figured out just a little bit. Maybe, you know, it's 
I don't expect them to beat the top four because you know you don't, but maybe they are more likely to get an upset last year than they were this year just by by random style. And and maybe it's teams like Spurs and Leicester and Villa that do better against them because they know how to prepare for it now. Like that's that's the games where I see them maybe slipping a few points here and there. I don't I don't think they're gonna have as much problem at the bottom half table because I think they're just better sides. Uh, that, um, but speaking of Spurs, Leicester, and Villa, that's you know those are basically in slightly yeah. varying orders, but that's who we have in fifth, sixth, and yeah. seventh. Seventh, we both have Villa. Yeah, and I think that that's that's two things. It's you know it's an improvement from eleventh, uh, and it's an improvement by you know I think six or seven points, which speaks to a couple of things. It speaks to guys like Ollie Watkins improving his finishing. And it also speaks to, you know, Buendia in, Bailey in, Ings in. And if they had kept Grealish and added all of these guys, Twanzebe and, and Young as well, I think we'd seriously be asking a question, are they going to nip Leicester for fifth? But with Grealish out, you have to temper expectations and understand how good a player he is and expect them to finish more like seventh. Mm-hmm. And you said that though, they could still make a few signings. Um, and if they do, maybe that, you know, maybe that we should reconsider where we have them. But at yeah. the moment with the current squads. Um, the the problem is they can't sign anyone like Grealish. And the shotgun approach kind of works in the sense that, you know, more options, better squad rotation and, and better options off the bench is effective. But, you know, they have to take multiple spots on the 11. You can't play all of these guys in exchange for Grealish. You can only play one of them at a time. Uh, obviously they have some other guys who they can, they can improve upon with some of these new signings, but you know, unless you can add a guy of that same quality, you're going to downgrade at least one position on the pitch. Right. Um, no, I, I agree, but still, you know, we'll see an improvement from them. No doubt. Yeah. I, my question for you, uh, I guess is, um, how do you like, what, what about Spurs makes you think, especially uh, I guess, have you taken into account a possible like Harry Kane move? What's your, that, 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 that's like, I'm going off the current squads right now and I'm assuming Harry Kane stays. Okay. And... I am. Yeah. I'm kind of hedging for a Harry Kane departure. Uh, I think like I have Lester in fifth, you have Lester in sixth and, well, I, and Spurs I, in fifth. Yeah. So that, that would, that would change it. For, I mean, if Harry Kane leaves, then I would have it, then I'd have, you know, but what you have basically, which is Lester in fifth and Spurs in sixth. The reason I have Spurs in fifth is that I think on balance, they have a better team. And I think, like I said earlier, you know, Mourinho, his toxicity, his negativity was, I think, detracting from what this team really had to offer. And I think that with a manager like Nuno, who has done well with, you know, with Wolverhampton, um, I mean, not last season, but, you know, he had two very solid seasons there um, in in their first years back in the Premier League. I think it's a good fit. I can see him getting more out out of these players. And look, they, they have a very solid spine. Uh, you know, Larice and goal isn't what he was, but still a very solid, very solid goalkeeper, still one of the best in the league. You got Christian Romero at the back, who was one of the best defenders in Italy. Oh, yeah. Christian Romero will make a great partner for Eric Dyer. Christian Romero was one of the best defenders in Italy last year. Years yeah, ago. but my, my point isn't about how good Christian Romero will be. It's about how bad he's going to look, or how bad he's going to not look, but look with Eric Dyer. Okay, Eric Dyer's- okay. who did you have at Atalanta? Is, is Eric Dyer really that much of a downgrade? Yes, yes, because Eric Dyer might be an as good center back as he had at Atalanta 99% of the time. But Eric Dyer loves his 1% pooping in his pants, not just, okay, so you know, not just literally, but also figuratively. The amount of stakes, mistakes he makes don't get fixed by adding a good center back. 
Right, but if it's just if Eric Dyer is just like one percent off what we're seeing in Atalanta, that or who 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 um, Romero is playing with at Atalanta, then I, I think we can expect you know more or less the same version of Romero. Yeah, but that that one percent is like that one percent is probably like two or three goals this year where he messes up something like tremendously. Eric Dyer loves to give up a goal for no reason. He's got that David Luiz in him. Right, but still. Um... You know, look, let me just let me just continue here though. You got Romero, you got Magulian, which is again solid at the back. Um, their midfield, okay, not ideal, but I think Hoyberg is a good signing. There's more to come from him. I think, and this is an if, but if Nuno can find a way to get them at least improve Deli Ali, right? You got a solid midfield pairing there, and then up top, Son and uh, and Harry Kane. I think yeah, on I... balance, it's a better squad, and not only that. I think the, the flip side to that is I, I just wonder mentally how much it's, it's going to affect Leicester that now it's been two seasons in a row when they look certain for that Champions League place and then bottled it. I, I just wonder if they can keep up the steam. They're still going to have that same belief. I, um, yeah, I know. I'll still take, I'll, that, I'll still take that Leicester midfielder. I'll take that Leicester midfielder, that midfield, sorry, um, with Madison, with Tielemans. With Ndidi, like I think that there are still. Yeah, I'll take that. It's a better midfield, but the back line I would take. I would take that. the the back line. I'll take Tottenham's for sure, and I then up in the front and going forward, I would take Tottenham. I, uh, yeah, but it becomes a lot closer if Harry Kane isn't there, and well, and yeah, right like, now that, that's the okay. game. If Harry Kane leaves, and I have Leicester in fifth. If he doesn't, I think Spurs have a better squad, and I think Leicester can be suffering from a lack of motivation. Yeah, I I don't see I don't see a Brendan Rodgers team lacking motivation. Because have you met Brendan Rodgers? Um, yeah, I do. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you why I would. Because when Suarez left after Liverpool, you know, failed to win, they, they, were, they had the title in their hands in 13-14. They blew it. The next season, I mean, they just looked like they had nothing to play for. They That's just, just because that Liverpool squad was a bunch of mental midgets. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Steven Gerrard, Jordan Henderson. Coutinho. I said, oh, yeah. Gerrard really stuck it through and was able to prove that he can last over 38 games. He was 35 years old. No, no. The best part is that over his entire career, he really shows he has it and has the mental guile to come on and get a red card within 60 seconds. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about (laughs) one game. Point is, in the entire season leading up to that, Liverpool were awful. Looked like they had nothing to play for. I mean, it took them until, like, December to finally start playing well. Well, yeah, you lose that star strike. You lose your star striker after coming that close. Okay, you know what? This still Okay, you know, with Sterling and Balotelli up top, and by the way, I'm sorry, I will defend I will defend this. Sterling, Balotelli, and Lallana with Coutinho, that's more than enough attacking firepower. It is. So, so, so that team is better without Suarez. It's not better without Suarez. No, they were never. They were this. They were this close to winning the title. They were when they almost won the league, but they could have done a lot better than they did with the talent in their team. They Uh, could have done a lot better than just six. Yes, but imagine being in the locker room and and the backing that you get from your team is, oh, you guys were this close to winning a title. Here's how we're going to help you out. Your best player, your striker, gone. That's how we're going to help you get over the hump. But just, I never just okay. But just because they weren't going to challenge for the title, we should have saw a lot more from them. Okay, there was nothing from them. Mentally, they looked drained. So Yeah, I, I just don't think that Leicester has experienced that level. Of I think Leicester lo- losing to Chelsea and Liverpool to get a Champions League spot is not unexpected. Like, it's not yeah, as bad. It's not nearly it's, as bad. It's not nearly as bad. That's true. But let me put it this way. With 10 minutes left in the final day of the season, Leicester were 2-1 up against Spurs, right? They were set for that fourth place spot. Chelsea were going to miss out, and they fucked it. They what Spurs scored three times. 
Um, so we'll, we'll see. Look, yeah. All right, let's let's get to let's get to that Chelsea team that that snuck into fourth and who we expect to finish in in third this year, actually. Right. Uh, because I'm I, right there uh, of the top four. We're going to skip fourth place right now because of yeah. the top four, we have one consensus pick and that's at Chelsea in third. Chelsea in third. Yeah. Um, and and can, can we pause right here and say that as of right now, the top four is probably stick four names in a hat, Chelsea, United, Liverpool, and uh, City. Stick them in a hat and pull it out in whatever order you want. Like genuinely, yeah. it could be any, <laughs> any of those teams can win. Any of those teams can yeah. get fourth Look, like I mean, actually i could see a world where city gets fourth if all if the other three teams actually do as well as they could look i think in the in the last few seasons we've seen like a huge schism between you know the team that have won the league and like fourth place i mean like city you know 12 yeah. points between them and and united um, i think we could see i think we could see a, a 10 point gap between uh, fourth and fifth, and I think we could see like a two point gap between first and fourth. But I can see like a five to seven point gap between first and fourth, and I think that's a big contrast from let's just say you know last year, you know, last year, two seasons ago when you had you know gaps of north of 15 points, yeah. And then five. before that, when it was only a two headed race, and you had you know the 99, 98, you had like Liverpool City on 97 to 98, and then you had Chelsea and Tottenham on 72 and 71. It's yeah. not going to be like that this year. I mean, no, it's it's going to be four teams. Close. I also, very I think fine that margin separating them very. What fine. do you what do you think uh, is the point total of our our winners this year? Is it? I think it's not City's eighty six this year. I think it's actually the level of competition is going to push these teams up. I think it's eighty nine. I think eighty nine wins the league this year. I think I think it will have to be in the nineties range. I'm going to go with ninety two. Okay, that I think that'll be impressive for because the other thing is that these four teams are going to take points off each other. And it, it might surprise, it would surprise me if anyone finishes with 90 and it would in this group, if anyone gets 90, that would surprise me. If anyone gets below 80, that would also surprise me. But, but I also think that the, the compressed COVID season last year was almost a balancing factor. I mean, yes, it affects everyone, but at the end of the day, when everyone's tired, I think that it's, it's just harder to really, I think when everyone's facing similar levels of fatigue, it, it does level the playing field a bit more. We're not going to have that this season. That the season, so I still that, that that's kind of the reason why I think that teams like Liverpool, United, Chelsea, and um and, and City are are going to be you know the gap between them and yeah I I also think a lot that, bigger than it was, than what we saw last season yeah but I also think that um yeah I don't know I see a lot of these like a lot of these lower tier teams um are I think going to be easy points but all of these mid table teams won't be there there will be games that West Ham win against this top four there will be games of spurs and leicester and villa. arsenal and leeds and villa and well. and everton will probably you know win the win the derby again this year <laughs> yeah at a full anfield i don't think so bud um but but so we, we both have chelsea in third and again it, it's so hard to separate these top yeah four. i and and the next the next member of the top four i want to talk about is is actually liverpool who neither of us have uh, in first place because the other two we we do actually. Yeah. Um, I have them in I have them in fourth, but actually I'm making an on the fly change. Um, I am moving Liverpool to third and Chelsea to fourth. Oh, that's so right? kind of you, Jeff. Thank you. I I like I'm realizing now that I don't think I believe in Chelsea's front line with the addition with the new addition of Lukaku. I actually think it it may make them better by the end of the year, but they will struggle a little bit to find the chemistry, to find the ideal lineup. The depth is great. They'll do, uh, you know, great things in the Champions League again because they have the roster to rotate. But I am worried just a little bit about the chemistry and in some of the bigger games, 
whether that'll be able to work. Well, 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 Jeff, the thing is that you could, you could make the same argument for United. Veron and, and Maguire are going to have to build chemistry. Sancho is going to need to, you know, he might that's, have to get adjusted. But, but that's why I love the, uh, first of all, Sancho has been playing with Greenwood and Rashford already a lot this summer. Uh, at least in practice okay, all right, for about a fair. month. Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess it's fair, but still, I think on the pitch is different. He didn't get much game time in the Euros. No, but but neither did those other two guys. So they were they were in the second team with the okay, practice, probably not, working okay, with each other. Okay, but if you're not playing on the pitch together, I mean, if you're not playing, if you're not getting minutes. On yeah, the- no, I think I think that's fair. I I think that 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 is a, a factor for this. I think I mean, United you, team you but, make a fair point as well. Like they are. I mean, I think they're they're familiar with each other. But yeah, but like, this this Chelsea team, like I do think that it's going to cause some higher ups, but but some higher higher or some lower lows as well. Um, and I think that that bumps him to fourth, where I think I'm not giving enough credit to how consistently good this Liverpool team has been for the last couple of years, and yeah. that they will like, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a fun title race all the way to the end. I, again, I mean, I think you know I expect Liverpool to be in it. I think just going off the quality of their team, front to back, is is just tremendous um it, it's spectacular obviously they struggled last season i'm going to this is obviously assuming that you know they don't have nearly the same level of misfortune uh on the same scale that they did last season we take a back four of konate virgil robertson and and uh trent alexander arnold i think there. it's the second best back line in the league yeah exactly right so you have that allison arguably the best keeper in the league Right. Yeah. I, okay. If you change it to back five, I think Liverpool has the best back that's five in the league. Five. Yeah. I think United has the best back four. Yeah. Um, I think that's a fair argument with the fact that De Gea is showing some decline. We don't know who the number one is. De Gea wasn't wasn't sold this summer, and and Henderson hasn't proven to be better than Allison by any stretch. Um, but I, mean, I think we that can disagree with, we can. I mean, I'm obviously going to disagree with that, and you're going to have your own opinion. But I'm, we're not going to. We don't have to get like drawn into that because it's. Yeah, it's, that's a that's an argument we will have every week for the rest yeah, of the yeah. season. Exactly. But, but um, like, ah. But then you look at the midfield again. This is still, I mean, take away Vinaldo, but more or less the same group of players who, when fully fit in a normal season without, you know, playing midfielders and center backs, won the league by 18 points and finished with 99 points. Are they going to do that again? Absolutely fucking not. But they're still a very, very good team who have shown time and again that they can reach an extraordinarily high level in a way that I just haven't seen from Chelsea or United, even despite the fact that, you know, they both got, they both had some additions. Um, yeah. Additions. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to pause on that and, and push, you know, to talk about United here a little bit. Yeah, who, so let's get who to you have, three. you have down in four and I have, and this is probably the bigger shocker. I have it. Number one. I, I genuinely think that they have solved. I didn't, I expected them to maybe go after uh, an Upamecano or that kind of level of a center back. And, and genuinely I was ready to put them in second if it was just Sancho and like a, a second tier center back. But I think Veron is actually enough that I have them winning the title this year. And I don't expect them to win the title. Uh, I think that it's still city's title to lose on paper. And I'm ready to be wrong about this, but as a United fan, I, I have the, the confidence to go out there and say that I think this team is, is a title winning team. I think they showed a lot of progress last year. I think that adding Sancho helps them make sure they don't drop as many points to some of the lower teams because when Bruno isn't making it work, Pogba still hasn't left yet. And for now, that means that we, like you said, you're assuming Harry Kane is still there right now. I'm assuming Pogba plays for the entire season right now until I'm shown otherwise. And between him and Bruno and adding Sancho, who knows how to create on his own, I think that this team has the weapons going forward. I think they have the solidity in midfielder in midfield. I, I am a believer 
in in Fred helping really lock down that back um, ahead of Veron. And I think Veron helps make Fred a better player as well. I think mm-hmm. that like improving your center back helps improve your your defensive midfielders. I, I worry about whether McTominay, uh, like if, if he doesn't take a step forward, that's maybe where this doesn't become a title winning team. If Sancho doesn't click right away, maybe it's not a title winning team. If Rashford is out for longer than expected, maybe it's not, a title, you know, if Cavani shows some signs of age, there are a lot of ways it can go wrong. But until I see it go wrong, I'm going to be a delusional, optimistic fan who thinks it's going to go right. Yeah, but the thing is, I haven't seen enough to make it think I'm going to go. I'm, I'm the opposite way. I haven't seen enough from them to make it think that, you know, it's going to go right. On paper, they have a good squad. But here, here's the thing, right? United have signed good players on paper before. They signed Pogba. They signed Zlatan. When's the last time United had this good a roster? Hold, hold on. In, I, I, I would say in 16-17 when they had a roster of like Mkhitaryan, Pogba, Zlatan, and they finished, and it started off the season very well. And everyone was, you know, everyone thought that they could challenge for the title and then they finished in sixth place. Not you don't be, think that. You don't think place. that. But no, I, I don't. But the point is that United have had world-class talent on their team and it hasn't always worked out. And you know what else, Jeff? They have a lot going for them. You know what they don't have? A manager who's won a title. And I think that's huge. I think yeah, I... United were they should have they should have beaten Villarreal. They actually have a manager who's won a number of titles, including a Champions League title and a treble. As a player, not as a coach. That that experience still counts. Okay, okay. That, uh, give me a, Maradona's won a World Cup, and he was a terrible manager. Okay, that, okay, I mean, Thierry okay. Henry, but Thierry Henry has won everything there is to win, and uh, we, we, the list goes on of managers. Gary Neville. Why don't we put Gary Neville in charge of United? Because he did such a great job at Valencia. You can be <laughs> he really okay, but he's a terrible. My point is that you're knocking just the one thing. Gary Neville's a terrible manager for a lot of reasons, and it wasn't his leadership and experience in title races that was why he was a bad manager. That's not why he like. My point is that I don't think this is as big a knock for Ole as you think it is, and I think that combining that with some of his assistant coaches, uh, with Mike Phelan, with Carrick, who has also shown incredible leadership skills, um. Like, I think the coaching staff on the whole has enough to, to help him get through it. But Ole has been to finals, and he just hasn't – they're finals that he should have won. And I think the fact that he hasn't is concerning. That makes me really question whether United can get over the line. Now, again, okay. again, we, I, I, I should remind you guys, we're, we only have, like, maybe five to seven points at most separating these four teams. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This yeah, huge disagreement we're having. Yeah. But, the, but that's why it comes down to these fine margins. And that's why I'm going to be more inclined to believe in a city or, or a Liverpool or even a Chelsea, right? With a guy like Tuchel, with managers and players who have already won at the highest level and know what it's like to, mentally, just how to get over that line. Um, they have I, the managers, but yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, uh, if, if, uh, if that kind of experience is important, it's not just important in the managers, it's also important in the players. And go look up and down that Chelsea team and how many players have won as much as, uh, as uh, Champions League Rafael Varane has won. Okay, but Rafael Varane... World there. Cup champion and okay. Serie A champion, Paul Pogba. One player. You take any other player... Pogba, serial winner. Cavani, serial winner. Okay, you know, all right, all right. You have a point on that, actually. You do have a point. There yeah, are some guys in that team that have been honestly. some very, but Lukaku, you know. Lukaku has won quite a, I mean, I guess not. He's, he's, he's has won, won a, quite a, quite a one title in his game. Everton a, really helped him. Everton really helped okay. Lukaku build a ti- winning he mentality. He won a title in Milan and he scored against Real Madrid in the UEFA Super Cup. World class. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna as we get out of here, because uh, I don't think we need to talk about City. We know what City's gonna do. The question for me is if they bring like if they bring in Messi, I I, I switch my my top two because yeah. it's cheating. I mean, uh, look, but if they don't, I like I question if this is finally like uh, the end of Pep, where they finish second and are on like you know the same point total as last year. Wouldn't surprise me. I don't know, honestly. I. It's something that's worth considering. It really, really is. Um, I, I will say on Messi, <clears throat> a lot of sources have him going to PSG. It's not, they haven't officially agreed terms yet. Like nothing's official yet, but they're they're very, very, very close. PS, PSG are far more advanced in the negotiations um, with Messi than any other team. And Guardiola himself came out and said that, yeah, no, they're not targeting Messi. Um, yeah. Very the prime target. But look, it's a transfer window, Jeff. Anything yeah, can anything, can happen. Happen. anything um, can happen. I mean, if United can sign a good player like Sancho or Veron, then, you know. Yeah, because we I don't guess. sign good players. Bruno was in academy. We don't sign good players. Cavani's no. terrible. We don't, we don't sign good um, players. Um, no, but as, we, as we get ready to get out of here, yeah. as we re- I'm going to point out that this 16-17 squad that you said was so incredibly talented was starring <laughs> Eric Bailly, Marcus Rojo, and Phil Jones were the three Highest appearance center backs. That team should not have finished in sixth place. They should not. They should have finished above Tottenham. They probably should have finished. I don't know if they should have finished above Liverpool because you know Liverpool did reach a Champions League final the next season. (laughs) What do I know about that? Um, They should not have finished in sixth place. I think they should have gotten top four. Michael Carrick still had you know thirty appearances. Daly Blind had thirty five appearances for that team. Like this was not. (sighs) Yeah, I still hold on. I want to look at United. That, have they, the should they have done better? Yes, but I like, uh, my point isn't that they shouldn't have done better. It's that United has, hasn't had a team since Fergie left that was as talented as this current team is. No, no, they haven't. I, I, although I, I will say, and I think in 1819, they were quite good. Uh, no, not 1819. That, that was a bad year. 1718, when they finished second. Yeah, um, that, that team was, that, was that team was still pretty good. That, that, like, that was yeah, that squad yeah. started the year but off I with like they, underperf- they should have had more than 81 points. In my yeah. Opinion. And that team, that team finished or started the year off with like four nil games, like three in a row. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, and then they just dropped off. I mean, they still finished second, but the quality of football they played should have been better. Um, they should, I mean, look, there's no fault. It's also Jose Mourinho's greatest accomplishment. So don't not, you know, well, okay. I'm not going to, but I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That was a very serious accomplishment. And I literally said, I mean, I didn't even know Akshay back then, but I, I said in 2018, when like it was just going to complete shit, right? That um, United uh, definitely should not sack Mourinho because he's actually done an exceptional job there. And I stand by the fact that he did an exceptional job at that club. He had done an exceptional job. He had done an exceptional job, kind of, but he had also done it in such a way that when things went downhill, I didn't expect him to recover. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's why I think they yeah. you know, should have sacked him when they did. And I am forever grateful that they did because they sacked him a month before I made my... Uh, my first pilgrimage to Old Trafford and oh, I got to watch an Ole version of United and just like, even if we didn't win, it was going to be beautiful. But the fact that we, we beat Southampton for nothing or for one, I saw everything I wanted to. This was in December of 2018. Okay. So the 18, 19 season, like literally a month after they sacked him and I'm watching, I, you know, I'm in the stadium for both the Ole chance, Ole at the wheel and also the, the 99 chant. Um, I, I mean, I saw everything I want to. I saw an Eric Bailly red card. I saw Rashford score. I saw Pogba score. It was everything you wanted in the game. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I don't know. Um, 
I'm I mean, maybe not this season. I, with- I, I hope that we can eventually get back to complete normalcy because I need to. I need to. Get I. Game, I think that. I think that we. Uh, for before all the shit hit. Um, yeah, look, I think that. But in obviously, stadiums are filling are filling back up. But I still think it might be some time until we get a like a one hundred percent full stadium in the Premier League. Uh, and not just a one hundred percent full stadium, but uh, a full stadium where like we can go visit because eventually. Yeah. Eventually, I'd love to do a box-to-box uh, episode. Episode live from Northern England, maybe, you know, around the Christmas period or, like, somewhere where there's a huge fixture congestion and we can go see Liverpool and then two, three days later go see United. That would be that would be something, wouldn't it? That, I mean, maybe it's in March. Maybe pick one of those, we'll, like, we'll handful of weeks. We'll box-to-box. We'll work valiantly to try to make that happen. Yes, um, as, a, as a box-to-box promise. But, I mean... In case you're curious, everyone's itching for it. The Premier League is here in four short days. The season kicks right. off with, I believe, Arsenal hosting Brentford. And we know, we know we're going to get a fire start when Arsenal lose at home to Brentford. Um, I don't know if they're home or away. But I, I, what I do know is that Brentford, despite they'll, they'll start off strong. They will start off with three points. And it will go downhill from there, but they will beat Arsenal. Because it, would, it wouldn't be the opening day of a Premier League without Arsenal losing to a relegation threat side. Now, would it? Um, so, but with that, I'm Alex Purry alongside Jeff Aza Hauser, and thank you very much for tuning in. We are looking forward to continuing with you throughout what should be an incredibly exciting season. But until then, take care.